What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Uncensored Critic Podcast. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. It means the world to me, so thank you. And today we have a fantastic guest for us. We have Miss Alison Tanny. Have I said that right? Is it Tanny? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, thank you. I can do the joke from like School of Rock where he's like, it's pronounced Schneeble. Yeah. Do you ever see School of Rock? I can say it's like Tanny, but it's Tanny. Tanny. Which one would you prefer, Tanny or Tanny? Tanny, because it's that's how it's pronounced. And but Tanny. joke I always steal from School of Rock, but... That's a great yeah. sketch. <laughs> and Alison is behind the Fantastic Theatre Enthusiast podcast, which is available on Apple and Spotify. Links down below in the description. Go check it out. Uh, let's t- take a moment to introduce Alison. Uh, she joins me all the way from New York City, and she is also a New York resident in that she has a BFA in acting from Pace University. And since since then, she's moved into the director's chair and producing alongside making her own podcast. Uh, during the pandemic, she directed 18 virtual plays with some well-known Broadway performers who have also been on her show. Uh, her podcast is available at Apple, Spotify, and she has spoken to some of the best actors in the business whose work has been widely recognized specifically in the theater as well as screen as well, both across the pond and over uh, here in the UK. Uh, her show combines her own passion for theater and asks the questions of what happens behind the scenes and how do you prepare f- and what is your story? In her own words, we invite you to join her unraveling the layers of, of the captivating world behind the curtain. The Theater Enthusiast podcast is a, m- a must listen for those eager to discover the untold stories and diverse roles that breathe life into the theatrical performances. And that's just a small slice of the amazing life experience that Alison has. Hello. Hello. Sorry, that's like such an intro. I feel like I'm turning red. <laughs> that's all you. That's your work. That's yeah. a small part of your story. Yeah. I will have to admit, I can take full credit for the bio on my website. Um, mm. It's Chat GPT that wrote it. Um, <laughs> so shout out to that. Shout out to Chat GPT. There you go. Thank yeah. you. I was going to say, like, Chat GPT wrote this, like, yeah. on, on the bottom. But I was like, you know what? Let people think I'm super smart in writing this huge bio about myself. Yeah. Well, you convinced me. So that's a good start. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) All an illusion. Yeah. All an illusion now, but it's all very, very real. Um, So we start at the beginning, Alison. So let's shoot back to your very first inspirations to do what you're doing. Where did the love of the theater, the arts, acting, directing, where did it all start? Where did it come Um, from? You know, it's so interesting because I usually ask that question. Well, not usually. I do ask that question on my podcast. And I've always Mm. said to myself, if somebody's going to ask me that, what would I say? And I don't really know. I've always been, since I was younger, my family has always had like movie musicals that we watched. And my first Broadway show was when I was five. You know, I liked, I think we liked dress up, you know, we played Barbie. So I think like imagination was a big part of it. Mm. And it's just something that I always loved. And, you know, I didn't really share me wanting to go into theater until like the end of my senior year of high school. And I just remember being so nervous and wanting to tell my parents that I want to go into performing. Um, So going to college, I was very green with that stuff, but I've always loved it. I mean, even my bat mitzvah theme was Broadway. So (laughs) yeah, I mean, I've always loved it. And I've always, I don't know if it's like the magic behind it or the visuals, just something I've always loved. Mm. And hopefully that's like a good enough answer. I don't know if it doesn't like pinpoint certain things, but I can't really like think of a specific thing. I'm not not marking you. It's all good. Okay, perfect. (laughs) Yeah, I'm no teacher. Um, so you went to Pace University. Um, tell me about your time there. So Pace University, um, when I auditioned, I actually auditioned for the musical theater program. I didn't get in, which is totally fine. Um, and the program now 
is actually a performing arts school. So it's much different, or at least the program I was in. Uh, so it's a lot different from when I was in college. Mm. Um, my experience at Pace, uh, <laughs> I was, like I said, I was very green going into college. Um, I ended up doing BA acting because I, I didn't really know what I was doing. And then my junior year of college, I did a play called The Food Chain. And I was meeting with an advisor about what classes I needed to take in the following semester and all that. And he said, you know, you're taking all the BFA classes, just become a BFA acting major, and we'll use the show that you did as your audition for BFA acting. So I didn't have to re-audition for the program. And they just used that performance, which as cliche as it sounds, I think was like my star making performance at college. Um, but I've always also wanted to direct. I've always wanted to direct since my senior year of high school. Um, but cut to my senior year of college, it was very rough. I had a very rough time, probably the end of junior year leading into senior year and all of senior year because of um, classmates and because of that stupid politics with stuff. So it was it was pretty rough my senior year. Um, and I was, but I was fortunate enough to direct a play which I wanted to do. And I directed a production of How I Learned to Drive and it's coming up on 15 years, which is, bleh, I just aged myself, but um, that was a really great experience, which towards the end was ruined by a group of classmates because yeah. of stuff I heard. Um, but, you know, I think the irony of all of that stuff that happened senior year, I found out during the pandemic that there was a lot more people on my side than I thought. Yeah. And um, I was supposed to direct The Shape of Things my senior year of college, but because I didn't reach out to a certain professor over the summer, they took it away from me, which was so stupid after they said I could do it. Yeah. And I now have a working relationship with Neil LeBute. So if you were to tell me that like 22 year old me years later can just email Neil LeBute and say, hi, just wanted to see how you were doing, blah, blah, blah. Like, or at least even have him on my podcast and like during the pandemic work with him a bunch and even get to direct a virtual play reading of one of his new works that hasn't really be, been seen by anybody. Mm. Like, yeah, it, I would have been like, you lie. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but yeah, yeah they, those classmates don't know what they did. They don't know what they. No, built. they don't. I mean, I like to think karma happens sometimes, and I don't really yeah. talk to them. And you know, yeah. years. I don't like talking about my senior year of college because I still get a little angry. Yeah, <laughs> tell how tense I'm getting. Um, but yeah, it it wasn't a fun time for me my senior year of college. Yeah. Like, you're not alone in those experiences don't you worry yeah and it's so funny too because the summer I graduated so I was also a dual major I have a, a BA in communication so I was BFA acting BA communications and because mm -hmm. I was a double major I had to take summer classes so the summer going to my senior year I opted not to take classes because I didn't think I was going to need it so I interned at an off-off Broadway theater mm -hmm. and um so the summer I didn't graduate until August because that year I was taking classes, but I was also interning at a advertising agency. Mm -hmm. 
I know my life is crazy. Um, so it was so funny being in like a different environment because I didn't think of like my body weight. I didn't think of certain insecurities that I had that I would have, if I was a theater major mm-hmm. in college and then cut to like a few years ago, maybe like a year or two ago, I saw a play called Mac bitches, which I actually had the director and one of the performers on my podcast. Wow. And it was about this cast list of Macbeth coming out and these seniors having a get together with this girl who got cast as Lady Macbeth. And I was just sitting there getting like so traumatized about like, oh my God, it like brought me back to college. It was crazy, but it was great. And I even told them, I'm like, I just want to thank you guys for bringing up trauma I had in college. (laughs) (laughs) What it's like when you're in college and all that stuff, you know, because when you're in college, you think getting casting something is the most important thing. And you think like getting this done is the most important thing. And that's the most important thing. And it's not, but you don't know any different because that's the environment that you're in. Mm. So it's just, it's, yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned there about um, how sometimes we can just get caught up in in stuff, you know, and I think, yeah. you know, having been to drama school a couple of years ago, um, you know, you get caught up in, I don't know, I don't know if this resonates, but you know, you, you don't have, sometimes you don't have time for like the imposter syndrome. You don't have time for any of that stuff because you're just yeah. so busy. You just got to keep going and going and going and going and going. And then suddenly when it stops and then you have time to sort of sit back and reflect on it and you're like, yeah. And then suddenly all these things come up and you're going, oh my God, yeah. But um, mm-hmm. but somehow theater has a way of doing that. Or like you said, collaborating with people or yeah. doing something in marketing has that way of, yeah. of bringing it all out. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like I said, it was mostly like the insecurity and it was just like really toxic with, because our senior class was very divided. Mm. There was a lot of shit that went down. Um, yeah. And I think I was on like the nice people side group uh, that didn't <laughs> cause the drama. Um, but there yeah. was just like a lot of, a lot of politics and toxicity and all of yeah. this stuff that went down senior year with big, the big egos and stuff. Class. Yeah. Yeah. And like them bitching about like the musical theater classes, like the musical theater group. And I was like, I'm friends with people who are like, one of my best friends was a musical theater major. Like it's <laughs> not, a, it's not a thing. Like that's all in your head. I mean, I had more like freshman musical theater friends than I did like senior acting friends. Hmm. You know, so that's anyway enough about my experience in college. Anyway, you survived. You survived. Yeah, I survived. Now, before I had those bad experiences, but at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it helps you to become stronger. You know, my second yeah. year of university was really tough, and you know, just yeah, everything about it—bad tutors, bad people, just everything. Mm-hmm. The course was complete nonsense. It was just absolutely awful. But just anyway, mm-hmm. I survived it. I survived. Yeah, we are here now tonight. Yeah, sorry, I didn't to talk over you. Mm. No, it's okay. No, I just finishing that. Yeah, what were you saying? Yeah, I was gonna. I'd be very curious to know what it would be like in that program. Now, like I said, it's completely different from when I was in college because it's its own performing arts school. And my friends and I joke how, or at least the my friend who went to Pace when I did, um, we're like we wouldn't be able to get into this program now. Like, there's no way that we could. I mean, I can't dance. I ha- I mean, I can dance around my apartment, but if you give me like a choreographed dance, it's not happening. Yeah. Can't time step. I've had, I worked at a dance studio for a year. I had like five-year-olds trying to teach me how to do it. No idea. <laughs> how to do a time step. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm curious to know what it would be like now if I were to like 
if I was younger and auditioning for the program to see what it would be like. Yeah, because things change, you know, yeah. in all these times. I can't think about auditioning again now. Well, I suppose I can, but, you know, it's weird being on the other side of that now. It's like you've, yeah. you've been there, you've done that, you'd have to worry about searching for monologues or searching for a song or anything like that. You know, yeah. it feels weird. But the yeah. other side, I'm grateful for it, though. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, no, I've, I've never been good at auditioning. But like, if you give me a role, like mm. if you cast me in something, cast me in something, I will murder it. Like, I'm so good once you give me something to do. Like, yeah. very great at direction, all that stuff. Like, you say jump, I say how high. Like, I'm great with that. I will kill a role if you give it to me. Auditioning, terrible. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Yeah. Like I was shocked when I got that play like my junior year, but I found like the perfect monologue for it. And then um I was like pre-cast in a show I did senior year, which I clearly was great at. But um yeah. Yeah, it worked. It worked. Yeah, it did work. It did work. Yeah, absolutely. So what what does um what does theater mean to you? Because like I can feel just like your passion yeah. for this and everything and having listened to your show as well, that theater is a big, big thing in your life and you know it's a big love of yours. So what is it you love about theater? You know, it's so funny too that this is another thing I think about because I do if I remember to ask the person at the end of the podcast, like why mm -hmm. they think theater is important. Mm -hmm. I would say like, what would I say if somebody were to ask what it means to me or why it's important? I just like how it makes me feel, to be honest. You know, I like going to a theater. I like sitting and watching people perform. I also like now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, I would never be able to dance like that or I can't do that. And, you know, even if you see like a dud of a show, you know, you still feel bad because of the people who work so hard on putting it up. Mm -hmm. Again, that's just age. I'm not bitter. Any, like, I'm not as cynical anymore as I used to be when I was younger with, like, seeing shows. But, um, no, I just like how it makes me feel. And I I just I just love it. I can't really explain it. And I, I, I just love it. And it's always something that brought me joy. And it's always something I love doing. And, you know, it's so funny to me, too, that people think I'm always seeing shows and I'm always doing this. I'm really not. It's just something that I'm so passionate about and I love so much. And I just have a lot of knowledge about that people think I'm constantly seeing shows, but I just have a lot of knowledge about it. And like I said, something I enjoy and, you know, I have a very big entertainment knowledge base. Uh, so I know who people are. I know what they're performing in. I know what they have performed in. So, hmm. yeah. What's like a fact that you're most proud of to know, like the, the best yeah. theater fact that you have? Um, I, I mean, there are people out there who know a lot more than I do. I'm prefacing by saying that. Yes. Um, I think like just something that popped into my head, I don't know if it's my favorite, but the Winter Garden Theater that currently is playing Back to the Future used yeah. to be a places where they kept horses. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it's not even a fact that I knew. I was told that fact. And I that's the only thing that's popped into my head. And yeah. um, I think there's like a few, there's, was it a church? I don't know. Or there's like a church that used to be a theater in New York. And um, yeah, I, I, it's just fun things. I can't yeah. think of anything. You know, when you're like asked a question, then yeah. I'll come to you later. Your brain yeah. goes, no, 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 I have no idea. <laughs> I also just like, this is like, I mean, this is like the Jew in me, but I love like theater tea. There's like, a oh, what's the, like theater tea, the gossip behind oh, the certain. Things. Yeah. Oh, is, is that what they call it? I've never heard that before. 
Oh, no, just like, oh, what's the tea? Like, what's the gossip? Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I like knowing gossip. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to share gossip if I'm told not to, because I'm not that type of person. And it's not yeah. my story to tell. Um, gosh, I just, what, what do I like to, what, what's another good egg I can give you? I mean, I can, you can't mention the name Jeremy Piven at the Barrymore Theater. Why is that? Uh, well, because I don't know if you know who Jeremy Piven is. I don't, I don't know. I know the so, name, but I don't know what he's been yeah, up to. He's an American actor. He was known for the TV show Entourage. Okay. And he did uh, a David Mamet play, Speed the Plow on Broadway. And he like left the play abruptly. And there was a lot of stuff that happened backstage that I heard of because I know front of house people. Mm -hmm. um, and someone's like, you can't mention his name in this theater. So, yeah. <laughs> God, what happened? Yeah. What happened, do you think? He just like wasn't good or nice to deal with he was yeah. a little you yeah, that's know, a shame. Yeah. it was also so many years ago and yeah i mean i don't want to say more because who knows but um yeah, yeah we don't know yeah. we you know it's just uh, I, that's why i always tell people like be nice to everyone because especially front of house they talk like they know things mm. i mean i've heard some like wild stories which i will not mention on podcast but um <laughs> I mean, I've even had interactions with, and I've mentioned this on my podcast before, like one of my favorite musicals, I'm not going to mention because it might give the person away. Um, a person was going into a show that I was doing merch at and they were not very nice to me at an after party. Mm. And I was like, really? Yeah, yeah. Like I was saying something so nice to you, how like, the show you were in meant so much to me and you were a complete asshole. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it happens. They, the people say never meet your heroes, but in a lot of cases, it's 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 quite good advice, yeah. I've met Laura Linney and she is a queen and I cried. Yeah. met her three times at a stage door and two out of the three I cried. So, <laughs> she's, yeah, of course, she's, not, yeah, just to be clear, not, not all the time, you know. Not everyone, but yeah, not everyone, Laura yeah. Linney is a queen. I don't know how I'd feel if I ever met like Julie Andrews. Like she did walk by me once. Wow. Yeah. And I did merch at a show and it was one of those, um, like moments where like time stands still and like everything is a blur except this one person. Yeah. And that's legitimately what happened to me because somebody was trying to get my attention and I didn't even realize it. So yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, uh, a few years ago now I saw Sweeney Todd in the West end. It was with, um, uh, it was one of those one-off ones with um, Bryn Turfell, who's a, a big opera singer, and uh, Emma Thompson, who was oh, Mrs. Wow. Lovett. And uh, we went backstage. Well, we didn't go backstage. We went to the stage door, hoping to see them. Then they never came out. There was security there and everything. And I think they eventually, when they did come out, everyone had given up and gone home. So mm -hmm. but I remember someone walked out with the stage door and just walked, literally just casually, just walked up the road. And as, mm -hmm. I, got, as I looked closer and closer, I suddenly realized, wait, is that is that Alan Rickman? like is that alan rickman and yeah alan rickman just casually just walked out with his missus and just walked up the road and i was just like with not a care in the world he's this you know he's snape he's die hard he's robin yeah. hood prince of thieves and many many more yeah. things love actually and all that stuff mm -hmm. and there he was just walking up the street just like a normal guy and it's at the end of the day you realize they're just normal people but yeah, yeah that was one of those moments where you think why is that really him and it's like wow yeah. yeah, that's about, I saw Kate Blanchett in a theatre foyer of, uh, just before Christmas. One of those moments, is that really her? Oh, it is her. It is her. But then you stare 
and then you're like, yeah. oh yeah, just to be clear, I'm not a starer, guys, just to make sure. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's yeah, it was an amazing moment. But yeah, you were talking there about um, moments in the theater. And I remember there's one story, I can't remember who told it, and there's a lot of details missing from this. So if anyone does know the details, just forgive me. Um, but this was many years ago. I think it was on Broadway, in fact. Uh, it was the f one of the first productions of um, A Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, um, you know, by Tennessee Williams, your great playwright, you know, who's just amazing. Um, and uh, there was, I come at who, who was playing it, but the, this actress was doing just doing her thing, and a noise starts to come out from the auditorium, and it wasn't a human noise, and it wasn't a human trying to make a non-human noise. It was just this 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 murmur, and it didn't sound like it was another person doing it, and it happened, and it kept going on and on and on throughout the whole first act. But she held it to the actress, she held it together, she got to the interval, the curtain comes down and she goes, okay, whoever the fuck is making that fucking noise, send mm -hmm. them home. Mm -hmm. And then they found what the noise was and they got rid of this person. Uh, but then the next day she gets a letter in her dressing room and she opens it up and the letter goes, I came to the theater yesterday, I'm blind. And the only time my dog makes that noise is when there's a cat in the room. And I thought, if that's not a compliment on her acting, I don't know what is. So that's really interesting. Wow. Yeah. I was like, that's wow. No. But what what did she do? What was her acting technique? Was it Meisner? Was it just <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Marco Robbie does an acting technique. I don't know what it is. Um, I mm. also like was never into the acting techniques, even in college. Like I didn't take it seriously. Like my freshman year, we had to pretend to be an animal. And I just like, this is stupid. Like that's <laughs> my head is like, this is dumb. Yeah. Um, uh, but Marco Robbie picks an animal for like His her character. Studies, yeah. yeah. So people do that. I mean, to each its own, whatever works for you know, whomever, but you know, cat on a hot roof, maybe she was cat-like, so. Yeah. But for yeah. a dog to recognize feline qualities in a human being, I mean, that's, yeah. that's what to be some hell of a performance. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. So that brings me on to a sort of question and thought about, um, because you're into theater and all that, I know you've just mentioned there that the acting, you know, uh, theories and techniques, you know, that's not really your thing, but um, do you know that these theater practitioners, you know, the Stanislavskis, the Artos, the Bertolt Brechts, the Grotowskis, et cetera, any of them sort of struck a chord with you? Do you have a favorite? Not really. Um, I'm trying to remember who we like had to read about in college and I can't remember. Hmm. Um, I haven't really acted since college because after college, I just started working to make money and you know, my joke is like, oh, I have a BFA in acting, but I act like I like people. Um, but it's so interesting. This is going to sound like so actory and cliche. And I apologize for that. And I don't mean it to sound this way, but no, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. A couple of years ago on my like Instagram discovery you page, I saw this like clip of Marlon Brando talking to a talk show host mm. about how people act every day in their lives mm. how he's like you know you're acting right now you know you're on a talk show like you're this is who you are on this talk show but you're different outside of it and I thought that was so interesting because people have different personas when they interact with people and you know even if you don't like somebody you pretend that you do but it's like all human nature and natural that you're just acting in your everyday life like um 
you know, if I'm on the phone calling a place, my tone of voice sounds different than if I'm talking to like a parent or a family member or one of my friends, mm. as it would be if, you know, I'm like, hi, I'm making an appointment for, you know, a hair appointment or something, you know, yeah. So I just think that's interesting that everybody mm. has different, and that's also true. You know, I'm sure that talk show hosts have different person. I mean, not Seth Meyers. I, I say this because I love him and I've met him <laughs> and he is everything. I love him so much. I'm a big fan of Seth Meyers. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like I told you, my chair just likes to go down uh, when I sit on it. No, I didn't know. Yeah, no. So I acting method wise, you know, to each its own, whatever works for anybody. I didn't really like, I remember studying anything. And, yeah. um, when I did that play my junior year, I was like, oh, I'm modeling this after my grandmother. And I, I don't think I really did. It was like a six year old Jewish woman from Long Island, which I'm like, oh, this is going to be me in like 50 years. So <laughs> it wasn't yeah. not hard to do. Yeah. Just like, you know, the criteria boxes, like the marks you get at university and school, you just, just say that, just tick that box and just get the hell yeah. out of there. you know what I mean? Yeah. I think like it was just basic I mean, each year you study different things. So I'm trying to think, not to age myself, but college was so long ago. Um, no, I just didn't really like, there wasn't really like any method. I remember like mm. studying, you hear people like Stanislavski and Adler and all this. I'm like, I don't remember like <laughs> doing any of that stuff. And again, like, I'm sure that if I took acting classes or if I work, you know, took acting classes in a studio and I you know, felt a certain way about something would be different, but for me, not really. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, um, you know, like clothing, when I directed my senior year, I was like clothing helps, at least it helped me if I was in a costume figure, like just naturally mannerisms would come out when I'm doing lines and stuff. Mm. So when I directed, I told people like bring in a costume piece when you're rehearsing to see if that helps you with your character and blah, 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 blah. So yeah. Yeah. And I had um, Ayla Morian on the show, who's an actor over there in the States. You know, he talks a lot about Stanislavski and Adler and how basically the method has been distorted. You know, it's not living in the jungle for six months. It's not walking yeah. around New York with a, um, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis walked around New York with a big hat of Bill the Butcher for six months yeah. or something like that. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's not that. It's actually using stuff, it is using stuff from your own life, but obviously using them in a way that's safer and more relaxed rather than this high extreme, you know, if I said, right, your next role is to be a heroin addict, okay, and then don't go away and stick needles in your arm because that's not how it's yeah. done, you know, you'll hurt yourself. Uh, but uh, find ways of, you know, talk about identifying those feelings, you know, like how, what pushed them to that point and yeah. what's, what's something from your life, if you choose to use that, Mm -hmm. uh, that helped you feel that way without actually doing that thing. Hopefully yeah. I'm getting that right. I might get a message from him tomorrow going, no, nope, Wally, that's not right. <laughs> but, uh, well, no, like, I, I mean, everybody has their own way. I mean, like, look at Jared Leto. He stays in character. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people, every performer has their own way of getting into a character or doing, you know, preparation work. Like I have a lot of respect for Jessica Chastain because mm. she does a lot of research to prep for a role. Yeah. She's insane. And yeah. So like, and I just have so much respect for her as a performer and um, like, you know, everybody has their, everybody's different. Like, you know, even with like work, you know, I, I'm on a team and I say like, you know, I do this differently than my coworker does, mm. you know, everybody has 
everybody works differently and whether, you know, if a, an acting method works for you, great. It might not work for the next person, you know, like somebody can stay in character the whole shoot and then somebody that doesn't work for them. So yeah, yeah it happens. It happens. If you were to jump back at that, uh, is this a question for you for a bit later, but I'll bring it in now. Um, so um, if you were to jump back into acting, if, if it did call you one more mm -hmm. time, um, what does it, I mean, from what you remember your Pace University days, how you did act then, and yeah. say it came back into your life now, mm -hmm. um, what, what do you think your process would be? How would you approach it again, do you think? Well, I think it would depend on the role in the show and mm. the play. Um, I mean, comedy is very different from drama. Oh, hugely, yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah, I think I, not to toot my own horn, I think I'm pretty funny. Um, <laughs> and I just remember when I was in college, when people learned that I was directing How I Learned to Drive, which is a dramatic piece. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely of a mature nature. It deals with um, not the most comfortable issues. And, um, you know, people were very surprised I was doing a dramatic piece and not a funny piece. But I don't know, I, it really depends and depends on the role and, you know, what the director wants. And, yeah. you know, I was also told by a certain person when I was in college, a certain professor that I wasn't going to get cast until I was older. Um, yeah, which is terrible to tell people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's so funny because I even say to myself now, I was like, I don't even know if I'd be good at acting now. I just, I don't know if it's something I would be good at. You know, yeah, I think. You will. Of course you will. Thank you. Thank you. If anybody's listening and wants to cast me in something. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the, yeah. Headshot, the headshots on the thumbnail, guys. Check it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually got those headshots done over the summer because I needed a new photo for LinkedIn. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's do headshots. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, like I said, I think it would just depend on the role and the play and, you know, if it was a dramatic role and if it was a comedic role and yeah, it, I think it just depends. Yeah. That's, that's quite interesting. How do you, because directing comedies like, or writing comedy is, is in my head anyway, seems to be really, really tricky because I can't tell you how many times I've been out with people and thought of something in my head. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be absolutely hilarious. I'm actually going to love it. And then I say it and it goes down quicker than the heaviest lead balloon you've ever met, seen in your life. Yeah. And you're just going, get the hell out of here. Whereas other times I'll say something and then people will find it funny, but I'm thinking, but that's not funny. So, but, um, but other people are like, yeah, that is funny, but I don't know. Um, but it's like, how do you go about directing comedy when you're, when the script, you know, in a way, I suppose, expects laughs, you know, like to drop a certain line at that moment is going to get the best reaction, the best laugh. I mean, how did, what was your process of approaching comedy specifically? So, I mean, I didn't really start directing stuff. Like I started to, do, I've always wanted to do it. And um, I think my junior year, I directed a comedy for like a one act directing festival show that we did. So that was an experience too. Um, not a great one. And because I was, I didn't know what I was doing. Somebody told me I was like a Nazi dictator, but I was like, I'm literally doing what our professor told us to do in the directing class. Like he said, if the actors have questions for the playwright, have them ask, tell you the questions. And then you ask the playwright, don't have the actors go to the playwright. Mm. So that's what I told them. And I'm very like specific with certain things that I wanted and blah, blah, blah. But you know, I, that was also like, 
20, 20, 21 when I was doing that. Like I didn't know, yeah. you know what I was doing. Um, but during the pandemic is when I directed a lot of shows. And I think the majority of them that I directed were more dramatic than anything. But I do remember directing a production of Teresa Rebeck's uh, The Understudy, which is comedy. Mm -hmm. It's very different doing virtual than stage. And the actors I had were fucking fantastic. And I think coming from an acting background, you just kind of let the actors do what they do and let the words speak for themselves. Because if you have a good script and you have like an actor who knows what they're doing, it Mm -hmm. will fall into place. At least that's what I think. Yeah. And, you know, I was very fortunate enough to direct like a lot of really great plays. Mm. And I even remember saying to an actor, again, this is like years ago um, when I was in college, just because we are laughing in the rehearsal room and we find this moment funny Mm. does not mean when you're performing it in front of an audience, they are going to find it funny Mm. because it's different when you're in the rehearsal room with people you're comfortable with and that you're used to you and your humor. And it's different when you're performing it in front of an audience and a joke might not land. Yeah. I will say that when I did that play junior year, I knew how to land a joke. And the director was like, don't land the jokes. Like don't play the joke. I played it and I got a laugh because I knew I can get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel like some people can't, but I was like pretty confident I can get this joke. And I did. And it was great. Right. But yeah, I, I like I said, I think it, you have to trust the actor because, you know, the people I worked with knew what they were doing. Uh, and if you have a good script, everything is there. Hmm. So in terms of, um, you know, getting laughs and everything, was there for a moment that happened on stage where you said something and you were on a, that line suddenly got a huge laugh or anything like that? Anything like that happened, like the unexpected laughter that happens? No. No, no. okay. No, it's all good. Everything happened according to plan. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Like, I haven't, like, acted since college. So, like, now it's, like, all coming back to me. I remember I did a scene from Doubt with someone. And the scene was, like, the confrontation scene between the nun and the priest, whose names I can't think of. And ironically, it's, like, coming back to Broadway. Mm -hmm. Um, of Schreiber and Tyne Daly. And I'm just, oh, I need to get a ticket for it, like, yesterday. Um, yeah, it's very important that I see the show that I can get into that play later, but, uh, no, I just remember like he throws a chair. We like Mm -hmm. rehearsed it where he throws a chair at me. And like, when we actually did it live, he threw a chair at me and it landed on my foot. (laughs) Yeah. Ouch. And I was just like, I had no reaction. I was just very calm and collected. Everyone's after, everyone after was like, oh my God, the chair landed on your foot. What happened? What? Yeah. I think like when you're acting and you're in the moment, like, cause I did another scene with someone from dinner with friends where the character I played like spit in her husband's face. And like, he was in rehearsal was like, don't spit on my face. Don't spit on my face. I was like, I'm not going to, I'll just like, but when you're in the moment acting, like things happen. And I actually like spat in his face, Mm -hmm. not purposely, but it happened. But it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think with any actor, like, you know, you're in the moment with something and just things happen that you probably don't think will. And, you know, you keep going. Mm. I remember there's a story Caroline Sheen told me about on my show. She was doing a Les Mis. She's done Les Mis quite a lot over here. Mm -hmm. And she played Eponine. And for anyone who has watched Les Mis, um, 
you know, you know, I, I would be very, I think it'd be very hard to find someone who has not seen yeah. or heard or know of Lamez. Yeah, that's very true. So if anyone's watching who hasn't, just let mm -hmm. you know, this is a bit just difficult. Stop, stop now. Yeah. <laughs> Wikipedia and then come back. Okay. Yeah. And we're back now. Okay, good. So everyone's up to date now. Um, so there's a scene, uh, one of the scene, a song called A Little Fall of Rain, where Eponine is um, dying. She's been shot. And uh, she said that she was doing it one night. She's looking up at the guy playing Marius, whose name I can't remember. But uh, he'd had a bit of a cold that week. And uh, so it wasn't, wasn't feeling, it was feeling better. He was able to perform. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> during oh, that scene yeah, yeah. yeah. she's she's there she's on the floor looking up at him and she's singing away and suddenly this bead of snot just drops out of his nose and lands on her face throughout the thing and she's and she can't do anything she's just there like i can't move i'm supposed to be dying yeah i've got snot all over my face uh which is very helpful and then afterwards they came off stage and cleaned herself up and he ran up to her i'm so sorry i'm so sorry but you know but these yeah. things they, they just happen you know you have mm -hmm. to just carry on you know it's it's live theater you know yeah. anything can happen yeah it's so funny because um jonathan groff i don't know if you know who that is it rings a bell yeah yeah he's a very well-known theater performer and he's done film he was the original uh, king george in broadway's hamilton maybe okay. that yeah uh, i probably so have seen that yeah yeah he's a, he's a very well-known spitter when he sings uh, like found like a like fountain bouncing. when he sings yeah, yeah. like a, a faucet of water yeah. so like there's that ongoing joke of like you if you work with him like you're getting spit on like yeah. when he's just like you. a lake that comes out of his mouth <laughs> yeah 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 but, i mean it's jonathan graf so it's fine yeah. Was there one particularly spitty performance that's been talked about in active circles or anything? Well, my old roommate and I were very, we weren't like the spring awakening, like part of like the chat boards, but we saw spring awakening a lot. And yeah. I remember like front row, probably of like him and Leah Michelle's last performance. Mm. And he like sings the song totally fucked. And he's like singing to the front row and when he's singing, he's spinning. And I just remember like people in the front row kind of just like getting like spin on. And I was like, you know how many people would pay money to like yeah. sit there to get like sprayed by Jonathan Groff spit? Yeah. <laughs> so many people. And yeah, I just there remember, are people out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I just remember sitting there laughing to myself, like these people like freaking out that like Jonathan Groff is like spitting on them. <laughs> <laughs> he's aware of it too it's there's um a very cute video of um him lindsey mendez and daniel ratcliffe who are the three leads in merrily we roll along right now yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a lie detector test for vanity fair and there's like a clip of it where he's talking about you know why he spits so much so yeah i i recommend watching that that video of the lie detector test it's really cute fantastic it's okay. yeah. yeah it's on youtube guys check it out yeah check uh, it out yeah, um, sort of you mentioned there about um, a play that's coming back to New York that you're really mm -hmm. desperate for tickets for. Sorry, I missed the title. Which one was it? Doubt. Sorry? It's a play called Doubt by uh, Doubt. John Patrick Stanley. Okay, cool. I think that kind of ties into a question I wanted to ask because you're in the director sort of chair now and had that director's vision. If there yeah. was a play for you to that you would like to direct, would that be one of them? No. No? I mean, it was definitely a discussion... Um, when we were trying to figure out what play readings to do. Mm. Um, but 
my dream place still to this day to direct a stage production of, and it was the first virtual play reading I got to do, is The Shape of Things by Neil LeBue. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned it many times on my podcast that I want to direct the stage production of it. I already have the cast in my head. Um, I very, very much would love to do a stage production of that in New York mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that that was, it's not if it's, it's a matter of when it will happen. Mm. Like that's a putting it onto the universe and it's going to happen. I just don't know when, but it yeah. will. That yeah. is. Yeah. I don't know the play. Tell me about it. And what would you like to do with it? Oh goodness. Well, it's, it's about this guy named Adam who meets this art student named Evelyn and he I can't, I'm very bad with explaining, (laughs) giving descriptions of things. No, don't worry. Yeah. Where he meets her and he starts to change kind of, is it for the better, not for the better through because of her and like his interactions with his friends and all that stuff. They actually uh, did a production of it off West End this past summer that when I was in London, I was very lucky enough to get to see and not to like shout out my podcast, but I got to interview the cast for that as well, which was really cool. And that was my first in-person interview since before the pandemic. And I haven't done an in-person interview since, but mm-hmm. yeah, that was like my last full day in London. I was like, I'm just going to go interview this cast of this off-Broadway play or excuse me, off West End play. So that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me about the love of the play Doubt. When what attracts you to that? Well, place? no, I just really love the play. I mean, it's not one of my favorites, but um, I did see it like four times when it was on Broadway, and I just love the play. And I just I'm so curious to see what they do with the ending of the play, because not to give anything away, but there's something that the priest may or may have not done. And I feel like when you watch the play, you have no idea if he's done it. And the only people who know if he did is, or at least at the time when it was on Broadway, was the actor playing the role, the playwright, and the director. Cut to a couple of years later, John Patrick Stanley, who wrote the play, wrote and directed the movie that had Philip Seymour Hoffman, Meryl Streep, and I can't remember who played the other nun, but um, Olivia, oh my God, Viola Davis was also in it. Yeah. And um, I feel like in the movie, you know whether or not he did it. Like, I feel like it was very apparent, you know, whether or not he did what he did. Mm. So I'm curious, like, that's my big thing to know whether or not he actually, like, what this play, this production, this revival will do with that, yeah. whether or not he did do it. Yeah, it just clicked in my head now. I remember seeing the, um, uh, I say DVD cover, because DVDs are a thing of the past now, aren't they? But I um, just hold that right behind me right here, all yeah. DVDs and Blu-rays. Yes, I'll keep hold of them. Keep hold of yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. I have a Blu-ray player that I don't even use, but um, yeah, no, all DVDs, few Blu-rays in there. Yeah. So, I think yeah, I have like a box set of The American Office, mm. all the seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Carell and all that lot. Brilliant. But He's uh, coming to Broadway too in a production of Uncle Vanya. No, really? Yeah, I'm actually more, ex- I'm a huge fan of The Office. It's like my happy, yeah. like, it's my show. Um, but I'm actually more excited about Alfred Molina <laughs> going into the play than Steve yeah. Carell. Well, but, hey, sometimes it's different, yeah. yeah. Anyway, what, you're saying DVD cover. Yeah, uh, remember, yeah, I remember the DVD cover now of um, Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Doubt. Yeah. That just clicked in my head you're now. You're going to bother me, like, who played the, the other nun. 
I'll figure it out. It'll, it'll yeah. come to me. Have you seen both? That you seen the film and you seen the play? Well, yeah, I saw the. I saw the original production, but I didn't see the original cast. I saw the three replacements. So it was Elaine Atkins, who's a British actress. Yeah. Uh, Jenna Malone and an actor named Ron Eldard. If anybody's listening, can you like let me know what happened to Ron Eldard? Because I sometimes say that to myself. I'm like, hmm. what happened to Ron Eldard? Like he's nobody. I don't know what happened to him. He was oh, a wonderful what? actor. Well, as in he but, didn't work after that or something. No, he like I yeah, but he hasn't. I at least hasn't worked in many years that mm. I know of at least yeah I yeah. know it's been bothering me and if I had like x or twitter or whatever I would put it out there but I don't so. yeah well, but okay that, that that's our task let's um, put it in the comments below if anyone knows yeah, anything what happened to Ron Eldard an American actor who UK people probably have no idea who he is yeah. which is fine yeah if anyone finds a good article you just send us a link I'll send it over so perfect that's, you that's your task email. that's your task guys brilliant yeah. um so I'm just thinking about how, um, you know, because we've got two members of Royal, Broadway royalty really over here at the moment. We've got um, uh, at the Savoy, we've got Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker. They're doing a Neil Simon play um, at the I moment. I did see when I was on Broadway. Yeah, which I've heard nothing but good things. I still need, I'd love to go and see it, but the tickets are yeah. kind of like gold dust at the moment. Um, yeah. But I've always interested in how... Um, it, you know, there seems to be, we're, we're very lucky between our two respected countries. You, you've got Broadway and we've got uh, the West End, you know, mm -hmm. two very high class areas to, of which you can go and see theatre. And I'm very mm -hmm. lucky to have it literally just up the road from me, um, which is great. Um, so like, what, what's been like your experience? Because I've only done one Broadway show, actually, and which was amazing. Oh, uh, I, I saw a musical called Memphis. Uh, this was about 10 probably longer than that, probably about 12 yeah. years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, I have to say, I thought it was phenomenal. It was one of the most brilliant pieces I've seen. And um, the, the story about it and everything is fantastic. It's about, um, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but it's about a white uh, radio presenter who falls in love with um, a black artist and this girl who performs predominantly in the underground scene in, in New, I think it's in New York. Um, but uh, at that time, probably in Memphis. Memphis, of yes, of course, yeah. Do uh, it's okay. But... I I saw it too, so I yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me edit that bit. Okay, so it's in so it's in Memphis, and and, and um and yeah, and of course at that time, you know, mm -hmm. uh, blacks were you know I think this is pre civil rights as well and everything before sixty three, uh, and you just sat there and you watched this love story unfold. I won't give it away. But it's a yeah. beautiful show, beautiful music. The actors were fantastic. But one one thing I noticed in a Broadway theater specifically was I looked around and everyone there was suited and booted. Everyone was dressed up in their finest clothes. Like the people were in there with their suits. And there's someone next to me, I said, God, look, look at these guys. It's like their first trip to the theater. Oh, they keep it so precious. And everyone was just like, literally like they've been looking forward to this for yeah. months and everything. I don't know, Is, was that the vibe on Broadway? Yes and no. Yeah. Um, I think it depends on the people seeing the show. Um, I, in my hospitality experience working at hotels, I noticed that a lot of out-of-towners would like dress up to see a show. Mm. Like me, I, I personally will not wear an athletic sneaker to a theater. Yeah. Maybe I'll wear like a fashion sneaker yeah. or something. Um, but listen, I have seen doing merch every style of dress at a theater 
And there, I remember one particular person, I said to myself, this person looks so disgusting. And I say that because, and I know that's like really cruel, but they were in like sweatpants and a shirt and their stomach was hanging out. And I, in my mind, I remember it being like a sandal that they were wearing, but I could be wrong. Yeah. You know, and when I worked, you know, as a concierge, people would ask like, what do you wear to a show? It's like, just don't wear like ripped pants and like sneakers just look nice, you know? So I always try to look somewhat decent when I'm seeing a show, you know, like maybe a nice boot with like fancy leggings and a sweater. Like I don't put on an evening gown to see a show. And I think, you know, it's a lot different from when it was back in the day. Mm. Um, Yeah, I just I think it depends on the audience seeing the show. Yeah. And funny enough, I was just thinking about how because there's articles over here and there's a um, a website and it was a paper but now it's a website it's called the stage have you read the stage it sounds familiar yeah so there was an article in there it's been sort of done the rounds a few times about mm-hmm. audience members causing trouble or audience members being uh disrespectful to not only the actors but to other audience members oh, we you can know. get into this like, I, I have a huge pet peeve about that oh no let's get into it then this is great um so things like the phone ringing people checking their phones uh, loud snacks with sweet wrappers or as you say candy wrappers that make that really awkward noise um mm-hmm. I, t- I tell you what, i read something recently with two things actually uh yeah. both of which are just bizarre because they're both in the theater one was which uh andrew scott played i know who's on your mug by the way is the hot oh yeah so for those who are like listening watching i drink yeah. out of my hot priest mug for my podcast so i figured i'd i bring it out for you there you go thank you so much yeah. and uh uh, he was doing Hamlet over here, and which was one of the highly rated Hamlets. Um, oh, are you, is this the story where somebody brought out their laptop? Laptop, yeah, yeah, yeah. on the front row as well. Yeah. And it, What's so? Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. It's so funny because my first trip I took to London was seven years ago for my boop boop birthday, mm-hmm. and um, they were doing that production of Hamlet, and that was like before Fleabag, before Bridgerton, yeah. before like anything. And I said to my friend, I'm like, I just cannot sit through another production of Hamlet. Yeah. I was like, I can't do it because like every production of Hamlet I have seen, I just like was not for me, like just was not a fan of. And um, cut to, I find out Andrew Scott is in it, Luke Thompson, Jessica Brown, whose last name I can't, Finley was in it, uh, Juliet Stevens was in it, who Juliet has like Stevens. one of my favorite movie lines of all time from Bend It Like Beckham. Yeah. Where she just yells at her, like, get your lesbian feet out of my shoes. And I just think the <laughs> line delivery of that is perfect. That's why it's one of my favorite movie quotes. Um, but I'm like, if we knew then what we knew now, we would have maybe have seen it. But we saw yeah. another play, which was amazing. So, yeah. 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 And but- I know the feeling because a lot of people go, oh, Hamlet or um, the Scottish play or um um, what's another one, Twelfth Night, or another like Harold Pinter play or something, and people go, "Oh, please, not another one, please." But yeah, it's interesting you know. to Yeah, I mean, it's sorry to talk over you. No, I tend no, no, to- no, keep going, keep going. Um, no, it's so funny too with like all these revivals coming back. It's like you know, people are like, "We don't need another revival of it." They did a revival of Glass Menagerie like ten years ago, mm. maybe like a year or two later, they did another one, but like yeah. a different director. And I was like, this production of Glass Menagerie that they did that had Zachary Quinto, Cherry Jones, Celia Keenan Bolger, 
uh, Brian J. Smith, directed by John Tiffany, was like the most magical, beautiful production of Glass Menagerie mm. that I possibly like have ever witnessed. And um, it was just beautiful. It was like, why, why do it again? But mm. I didn't see the last revival that they did because I was like, I don't want to see it. I love it because it's too soon. Yeah. But no, I agree. It's like revive things that haven't been revived in a while. Like, you know, uh, even with, they have Shakespeare in the park here that they do every, well, not this year because they're renovating the theater and it's a very big thing in New York. It's at the Delacorte Theater in, uh, in Central Park. It's free Shakespeare. And their last production they did was Hamlet. And I feel like, can't you do something else? Yeah. You know? And I saw it. It was the best production of Hamlet I've seen. Um, but I did say to my friend at one point at the, towards the end of the show, I'm like, the show needs to end. Like it's too long. <laughs> like, <laughs> need to go to bed. Uh, yeah. But it, it, Hamlet is known to be one of his longer pieces of work. I think it, um, is. I think it is his longest piece. It's four yeah. hours from top to bottom. Yeah. Four hours. And, I just, yeah. and when I started in high school, I just remembered loving Hamlet. But uh, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I think maybe because we're so used to certain Shakespeare shows being like so well known in the zeitgeist. And even if I haven't seen them, it's like, oh, I don't need to see Romeo and Juliet again. I already know it, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's it definitely on repeat. We've got two new productions have just been announced here, actually, um, both within. We've got two Oedipuses within four months of each other. Oedipus, is that a, a title of a play? Oedipus, yeah. Oedipus Rex. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Greek tragedy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I know the Greek stuff as well as the Shakespeare stuff, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's also because uh, that's free to do. Yeah. You know, classics I, are free. Yeah. Yeah. So that's people want to do it and they do it. I, I will say like when I was directing over the pandemic, one of the plays that I did was The Glass Menagerie. That was the second one I did. Mm. Freaked me the fuck out. I was like, how, why and how? is our why but it worked out it was a very good reading but uh yeah, yeah that, that was a monster and I was there speaking of acting I like, even I don't know if you get this too but do you ever get like super nervous before you interview somebody and you can't remember how to interview people uh I mean I, I suppose yeah there is a bit of nerve. I think I'm, I'm used to it now because yeah. I make sure I make sure my prep's done and I don't know what I want to say yeah. but uh I suppose, yeah, just before we start, there's a little bit of nerves. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I have to pretend that I'm not nervous when I'm talking to people that I'm interviewing. And definitely when I was directing, I had to pretend that I wasn't intimidated by certain people I was directing. Mm. You know, it was virtual. And I had to pretend like I knew what I was talking about, which I think was like, I knew what I was talking about, but I think I had to pretend that I was very confident in that. Yeah. It's like, it's about actors is what we do. We like, yeah. Yeah, there's a Freddie Mercury line. Inside, my heart's breaking, my makeup may be flaking, but my smile still stays on. So, yeah. yeah. Um, what were we talking about? Um, we were talking about audience etiquette. Yes, audience etiquette. Yeah, so that was that was the first one, the laptop coming out. In fact, there's another one. I'll just tell you two more really quick. Oh, okay. Uh, I was lucky enough to see Andrew Scott actually doing a, a monologue. It was called Seawall. I'm not sure if that rings a bell. Yeah, was it Seawall of Life or was it just Seawall? Just Seawall. It was written by Simon Stevens. It's a it's one man show and it's just half an hour. It's very quick, very yeah. succinct. But my word is it does it cover a lot in half an hour. It's it's a brilliant, brilliant piece. Um, they, they should, should, um, they should they make it available online. Sorry. Sorry, I just wanted they did a Broadway production of Seawall of Life in New York a couple of years ago. 
It was okay. off Broadway, and he brought it to Broadway with Jake Gyllenhaal and Jim Sturgis. Okay, yeah, that's and a different think, play. That's a different play altogether. Yeah, I think yeah. Seawall was Jim Sturgis. It was about his daughter. Yeah, they went to France. Yeah, yeah, that was Jim Sturgis who did that one. Yeah, and then the second part was Jake Gyllenhaal's monologue. Okay, All right. oh, I didn't realize it was two monologues. So yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so I was watching it just about 10 minutes in, completely captivated by Andrew. I think the, the, it is available online, but it was a studio version, which they did years ago when they first wrote it. So that version in the old Vic sadly isn't, isn't available, but I hope yeah. one day it will be. Um, and Andrew's there is doing his thing and someone's phone starts ringing about three or four rows back from me. And Andrew actually, he was brilliant. He didn't like lose his temper. He didn't get irate. Like, well, you turn your phone off. He, he very brilliant. He just stopped. He just, I mean, he's had his hands up like this. And he just paused and just waited and waited. And this phone kept ringing and ringing and ringing until eventually it stopped. And then he just sort of, there was a look in his face like, okay, you done now? Okay, well, I can carry on. But he wasn't, he wasn't mean or anything, but he just, he thought, no, I'm not going to try and speak over you. I'm just going to, I'm just going to yeah. wait. And then another one was, which I read in the, in the stage article, was there was um, uh, someone in the stalls was sitting like right next to the stage, I think down sort of, we call it stage, stage right, but they're, they're like sort of the left side of the auditorium, like right next to the uh, stage. We call it that here too, don't worry. Oh yeah, no, yeah, don't worry. I know you call it that. But yeah. um, there was a, a, a prop plug socket on the stage, right? It's just a pl it's just literally bits of material put together to look like a plug socket. Someone in the middle of the play thought, oh, my phone needs charging, gets up on stage, plugs their phone in during a performance. And I'm thinking, well, A, if that actually happened, which I'm sure it did, that what goes through somebody's mind to think that is an okay thing to do? And A, during a show, B, to actors trying to perform and say, oh, it's just there's some weird people out there, you know, audience etiquette and all that. What I'd love to hear your stories. What what's happened to you? Well, it's so funny you mentioned the plug thing. I was not here for this, but I didn't see the show when this happened. But there is video uh, pre-show of this play that they did called Hand to God. Mm -hmm. And there was somebody who, before the show, jumped on stage to plug in his cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I mean, you hear wild stories. and Because, again, like working in front of house, you hear things. Like there is a very, I think... Paul Rudd talked about it on a talk show. He was doing a play on Broadway called Grace with Ed Asner, Michael Shannon, and an actress whose name I can't remember. Yeah. And somebody from the mezzanine got sick and threw up into the orchestra. Wow. Yeah. And he said, like, Michael Shannon looked out into the audience and it was like fear of death. But um, yeah, no, for me, though, it's like... I'm very attuned to like, if I see a cell phone next to me, in front of me, peripheral vision, turn off your fucking cell phone. Don't look at it during the show. It is yeah. distracting yeah. to me, yeah. <laughs> like being selfish. I can't stand it. Like turn off your effing phone. Um, What's funny was when I first saw Take Me Out, the revival, the mm. they brought it back to Broadway, like after the pandemic or whatever, like 2.0 version. Yeah. Uh, and I was lucky enough to actually interview one of the actors after that production was over. He was a replacement for one of the lead roles. Um, and I interviewed him after the show closed. But the first time I saw it when he wasn't in it with somebody else, they had these bags called yonder bags because there's male nudity in the show. Right. 
And so they lock everybody's phone in this bag. Yeah. So you don't yeah. have access to it. And I was sitting next to this woman and she was like, you know, I think it really dumbs down the audience that they have to use these yonder bags, that they don't trust us to turn off their phones. And I was saying to myself, well, people are not going to turn off their phones. No, they don't trust you. They don't trust no, you. People do don't do that. You know, they have those like cameras and the, the eyeglasses now that, you know, yeah. that how do you think bootlegs is, exists in the world, <laughs> you know, like. I mean, I do have a couple of bootlegs, but um, I don't know where they are, but they do, they do exist. They're around somewhere. Uh, yeah. And also for me, like talking during a show just gets to me. I remember yeah. years ago they were doing, oh, crap, what was that play? It was a whole gay cast. Jim Parsons was in it. Uh, the, the Normal Heart. No, I did work March at that one. And let me tell you. That was a very interesting end of show when people were leaving. I've never heard a quieter audience in my life leave mm. a show. And yeah. never in my life have I seen a men's room line longer than a female, the ladies' room bathroom line. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, do you know what the normal hurt is? Oh, yes. I know the play. Yeah, I saw it um, a couple of years ago. It was here at the National. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. It, it's not a happy show. So, you know, no, audience members are leaving. <laughs> I remember some girl coming up to me after the show. She's like, can I exchange just eyes in this shirt? And she just like has tears running down her face because um, of what happened. Uh, they turned it into a movie too. And it's really going to bother me. I can't remember it. But anyway, whatever show it was, there were these two women next to me who wouldn't shut the fuck up during the show. Mm. The woman's cell phone kept going off, but it was on vibrate. And at yeah. one point during the show, my friend turned to them and said, ma'am, please, would you shut? up or something and then mm. she's like looking at him and then after the show they got into it and even like the people around us were like whoa but thank you you said something yeah. like it just it really annoys me when people talk during the show more mm. so and um and having their phones open i i mean cell phones go off it happens mm. that doesn't bother me i mean it's great if it doesn't but it's the talking during the show and like having your phone out with the screen like yeah. right and crazy yeah i think there's there's videos on youtube of hugh jackman i think hugh jackman and daniel craig did a, a show together i think it was in america yeah. actually yeah um, something and, with rain yeah. three days of rain no three days of rain was a totally different play yeah yeah but uh, he um there's a clip hugh jackman that the, this phone keeps ringing on and on and on in the first few rows and eventually hugh jackman goes look just answer your phone just mm -hmm. if you want to answer it, answer it. But just please leave. Just leave because yeah. we've had we've had enough of this. And then what gets me is that they sometimes they fight back. Like your example just now, they go like, "You can't talk to me like that." No, no, you can't. I'm just checking my phone. What's wrong with you? It's like, well, yeah. you're, you're in a theater. You're supposed to like respect the art. These guys have worked. Well, a the people on stage have worked really, really hard for this. They've learned the lines. They've rehearsed this, etc. B yeah. ev everyone around you has paid a lot of money to be here. A lot of money and see you have no idea how far some people have come for this some people yeah. yeah might have just jumped on the tube or jumped on the subway and just come here and it's an easy ride home there are some people who've flown in all the way from australia to just catch yeah. france with the opera in mm -hmm. london you know they've traveled across the freaking planet for this yeah. and you and you sat you sit next to them and check your phone is the mm -hmm. only time they're probably ever going to see this and then for some reason you think that's okay yeah that it baffles me. There are some weird yeah. fuckers out there, but yeah. yeah it, just, and it's so funny too, because uh, Sarah Paulson, she, I don't yeah, know if you know she is. Yeah, she, I know Sarah Paulson, yeah. Yeah, she was just on Seth Meyers and she's in New York doing a play. 
And yeah. she was also talking about theater. She's like, I don't know if people think there's like a wall between the stage and the audience, but we hear everything. <laughs> like we hear the crinkling of the papers. We yeah. hear the phones. We hear the talking. We hear this. We hear like I saw a musical on Wednesday. I saw um, a new musical, Days of Wine and Roses, which with one of my favorite Broadway performers, Kelly O'Hara. And there was somebody behind me you know, just like crinkling the candy wrapper mm. and it's only a few seconds but it's still it's still annoying yeah, even that is long enough yeah yeah but the talking that really gets to me and the screens yeah that get to me. yeah and there's another story um al pacino apparently did this if you this is i don't know how long ago i don't know what the play is but it's just word of mouth that someone's phone kept ringing in the auditorium and he stopped and he jumped off stage walked straight into the auditorium picked up this lady's phone and just went it's al i'm acting go away and just put the phone down and i think you um, patty lapone because yeah. that's infamous well, which one was that oh where do i begin so yeah. there's audio of her yelling at an audience member when she was doing gypsy who was taking photos and then oh, somebody nice. turned it into a, phone, uh, a song like you've just been loop-owned. <laughs> and then she was doing an off-Broadway show where she walked off stage. And while she was doing that, she grabbed somebody's cell phone. And then she was doing a talk back during company where she gets into a fight with an audience member who had their mask down below their nose. Hmm. And then she's like, we pay your salary. She goes, this person pays my salary. So it was like this big thing and t-shirt was made of like, this person pays my salary. So yeah. Oh my word. Yeah. yeah. If you're on a Patti LuPone show, you know, you know, to behave yourself. <laughs> yeah. 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 But um, yeah, I'm trying to think there's probably other stories as well. Um, there's an actor called, um, I'm just saying Richard Griffiths. Does that ring a bell uh, to you guys at all? I am a very big fan of the history boys. Oh, did I, um, I did the history boys i'm done oh, really who did you play i was runge nice yeah. i loved that russell toby yeah. yeah russell toby well, then why do you think i like aim to get particular people yeah, jamie parker and all that yeah. and, and samuel barnett yeah samuel barnett, Very, yes yeah i mean it's so interesting too that like you know, I like brought up the history boys and it's just like a small blib in their life. Like, even though they were with it for so long, but they've done yeah. so many other things. Like to me as a fan of the show and I saw it so many times on Broadway, <laughs> like to me, it still has such an, a huge impact that I can literally have an entire podcast episode about it. But to yeah. them, it was just like such a short amount of time that when I spoke to them, we didn't really even talk about it for that long, mm. just like a few minutes. And then we moved on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but he, I also did see Richard Griffiths also in Equist with Daniel Ratcliffe. Yeah, that's something I wish I'd seen. I wish I'd yeah. seen that. What was it like? It was really great. Um, I, maybe I didn't love one of the performers in the show, not to give anything away. Um, but no, I just, name? you can reveal everything. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I, off podcast. Um, off podcast, yes. Off podcast. But no, I thought Daniel Ratcliffe was great. I, he's, yeah. he's a very good performer. And I, I really like when people kind of like go outside what they're known for. And that's what, you know, I'm sure performs well. Like he's, he did a huge musical years later. He was in How to Succeed, like carrying the show. And now he's back on Broadway doing another musical, you mm. know? Yeah, yeah, but was 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 really great. Yeah, um, and Richard Griffiths, I think there's a story that he came and just spoke to the audience. I think at the interval, just walked down and said, "Look, if you continue behaving, I don't know what they were doing, but they were 
pissing him off basically he said look mm -hmm. if you continue doing this we're not going to come out and do act two so yeah. you just pipe down because you've been annoying for the whole of the first half cut it out basically and i don't know all the details and everything i just read it online somewhere but he yeah. had but it looks like it got so bad he had to come out and actually say to the audience we will stop the show if yeah. what you're doing carries mm -hmm. on and you know yeah. and that's that's power i think and yeah. you know some people have spoken out about you need to be a certain level of uh celebrity to do that like if you're not yeah. like in what a better phrase well known or anything then you almost say you don't have the power to stop doing that or anything but i think i suppose anyone who's causing your show no matter if you're hamlet or gertrude or you know just rosencrantz and guildenstone you know you should have the power to say look what you're doing to just stop i mean it's yeah. a complicated thing but where do you stand on that i don't know i mean i haven't really been in a show where an actor or a performer or an actress or whomever has like stopped the show and been like, yo, like hmm. cut it out. I, I haven't experienced that before. So I can't really speak to that. I don't know how I would handle it. I mean, I think like they talk to stage management probably during the show and they, you know, communicate with the front of house from what I've been told. And hmm. um, I mean, cause I, I've heard stories. I remember I saw Spring Awakening one of the many times and there was a drunk audience member who kept going, like moaning throughout the show and they like kicked him out. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think they know. Um, I can't really speak to that. I don't, I don't know. I think it would okay. just depend on how bad the audience is and yeah. the theater and- Sorry, I've, um, got another, I've got another story for you, actually. All these things just keep jumping into my head. Um, I saw... Um, I got stuff, too. We should, like, go off on it. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So I saw Serrano de Bergerac that was mm -hmm. on here a few years ago with James McAvoy. And oh, and it was... He, I am weird. waiting for him to come to Broadway. He'll like, yeah, it, be there. He'll come. He'll come. They did Bacharach in Brooklyn. No, I want Manhattan, <laughs> Broadway theater. That's what I want. Yeah. I'll be there. Is it is it the John Golden Theatre you've got there? Is, is that what it's called? Yeah. John mm -hmm. Golden. Okay. Because we can talk about Prima Facie a bit later because I know Jodie Comer was there last oh, year. Oh, I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, yeah. God, there's so many things. We're, we'll stay on one thing at a time. Uh, yeah. But there's... Um, yeah, we can, I get sidetracked on my podcast with people all the time. It's part of the No, fun. it's great. No, I love it when you do that. It's good. Um, what, was, what were we talking about? I just forgot. We were talking about um, seeing uh, James McAvoy. James McAvoy, yes. Very good. Yeah. So there was a bloke sort of like two or three people down for me we were sat on like the third row you know and mm -hmm. really really up close and this guy over there was, was there with his wife and his wife was very very interested in this she was there like fully attentive this mm -hmm. guy couldn't have cared less one iota and kept falling asleep and as a result not only was it a quiet snooze no it wasn't that this guy was snoring and snoring and then luckily his wife kept waking him up but and I very nearly at the interval went to one of the um, the, the ushers and just said, look, this guy, I've paid a lot of money to be here tonight, you know, and he's ruining it. You know, it's, it's yeah. a, and I very nearly had a word with the man himself saying, look, if you don't want to be here, go home. And I know it sounds harsh, but you know, I just yeah. thought not only me, but everyone around you has spent in excess of 200 pounds just to be there tonight, either for themselves or with their partners or with a group of friends. And you're ruining that experience. Yeah. If you don't want to be here, go home and go to sleep. 
fine just don't just don't piss me off because yeah. you know it detracted from that experience um in the theater but thankfully it came back in cinemas i think just after our lockdowns yeah. over here and i was able to watch it again uninterrupted so yeah. luckily i had that experience but uh but yeah but it, it's just courtesy and common sense just to know that other people around you want to see this show and it's you're not the only member in that auditorium that night you know there's five six yeah. seven hundred eight hundred people there have mm -hmm. also paid to be there so yeah i think uh when paul muscle did um streetcar he was talking about how yes, like yeah. a well-known actor fell asleep <laughs> during the show he didn't Ouch. say who it was but um yeah yeah i find that funny sorry again my chair yeah, yeah right. i when i did merch i remember i worked at a play called driving miss daisy and i always called it driving me crazy because every time i worked there like something would happen like mm. the bank would be short or like be out of bags or like something would happen and i remember towards the end of the show somebody had a medical issue yeah the golden theater has a very small lobby space like it's literally like you walk into the theater there's the box office and then you enter the theater just to go into the audience like there's no lobby space at all so they had to like bring them out to the outer lobby the ambulance came took the person and left all within like 10 minutes and then the show ended wow it was crazy but yeah, yeah. mental yeah yeah so just be respectful to people in the audience, guys, you know, just yeah. eat your if, candy. I mean, if you pass out, it happens, but. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Reception's be made. I'm try not, not to thought, Try not to snore too loudly and yeah. turn off your phones. Have a snooze before you come to the theater. Eat your sweets yeah. beforehand. I will say I have seen shows where I've almost have fallen asleep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's been fully to snooze fest, but um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but these things happen. Yeah. I'm sure you yours was a respectful snooze rather than a No, it was like eyes are closing, but wake up. Eyes yeah. no wake up and watch watch this like, Edward Elby play that you are sitting here watching. The second <laughs> half I was wide awake for. The first half I was like half asleep for. <laughs> and I've almost fallen asleep during two operas, but I think that's a little bit different than like Oh yeah, opera's understandable. Yeah. I tried I tried sitting through an opera and I was the same like mm -hmm. okay. No, oh, no, come on. Come they're on. they're doing the hours again they turn that into an opera and mm. one of my favorite broadway performers is going into it it's like i just can't like i tried to watch the movie twice and i only got into 20 minutes of it and i had to turn it off so i just it's like if i couldn't watch the movie <laughs> i cannot watch this opera it's not gonna happen i can't travel all the way to the theater and watch it there yeah. i don't live that far from the opera but uh yeah i just i wouldn't be able to do it yeah no yeah. just you know, I think it's good to like know what you can sit through and what you can't, you know, because yeah. as um, also, I think that's a good lead on to, you know, just that phrase there, what you can and can't sit through, you know, there's a big question of because I've been very lucky to interview some people from the play A Little Life that was on here. Yeah. And I know it came to you. Well, actually, no, no, it hasn't come to you. So I'm thinking of Prime with Facey. Oh, no. I well, I, I told you when I was in London, I was in yeah. London, in June, the beginning of June, and I was yeah very lucky enough to get to see it twice i saw a couple of shows when i was there um and that was one of the ones yeah i'm surprised you got tickets to go twice because they were like gold. oh let me tell you i stalked that website for weeks <laughs> to get a ticket to that show and i went to a day when they had um captions yeah, yeah. like you know what? i don't even care if they have yeah. captions 
whatever, I'm going to be in the room. And then, like I told you before we started, I was like, I don't know if I could sit through again, but I want to see it. And then yeah. you know, sometimes cancellation tickets happen or they'll just have tickets pop up. And, you know, I went on the website again, like a day or two later or whenever I decided, because I had my computer with me in London to interview the cast of The Shape of Things. And I looked on the website and I was like, oh, dude, there's another ticket. So I bought a ticket to see it yeah. like Saturday matinee and I saw the matinee. And then later that night I saw another show. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Two show yeah. days. Always good fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't know what to do with myself on, a, on the weekend. Oh, yeah. And the thing with London is that you guys don't really have Sunday performances, but luckily I found one play that did that yeah. I got to see. I saw um, Eddie Izzard's Great Expectations. Yeah. Yeah. which I was very lucky. I didn't even know it was playing in London mm. until I was in a cab and I drove by the theater, but I missed it when I was in New York. So I, I felt very fortunate enough to get to see them do it when they were in London. So. Yeah. I mean, that that's impressive. I don't know how you, because there were people who were fighting for tickets for that thing. You know, and, you know, for I, a little life? Oh, for a little life, yeah. Um, like I said, I stalked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Weeks. I yeah. had like particular because I know I I had tickets for like the I got there on a Monday and the, I was like I don't want to see a show the first day I come in I might be tired so like the next day Tuesday was like the start of my theater journey and that was the shape of things and that was the first ticket yeah I bought and that was very important that I did see that show because I've never as much as I want to direct it I actually never got to see an actual stage production of it before so that was my first time seeing that. And trying to think of like, if I had any other ticket. Oh, I was supposed to see Dear England. Mm. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And stop it. So <laughs> what, um, what happened? I was supposed to see it its first night of previews. Yeah. But they had to cancel first night of previews because they were behind on tech. And the only other time I could see it was okay. the, my last full day in London. Yeah, And I was like, I can't, I'm going all the way to the park theater to mm. interview the cast of The Shape of Things. And yeah. I'm staying like in Lancaster Square. So I'm like, I don't think I'm going to make it in time to like go interview these people, then drop off my stuff at my hotel and then like run to the South Bank to the National Theater. Like mm. I just wasn't going to have time to do it. So I, uh, well. hopefully I got a refund. So, yeah. but it's rumored to be coming to New York. So yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, the, the actual production, because I know they filmed it for NT Live. So there was a screening over here for people who could see it. So maybe that's coming. Okay. Or maybe the whole thing will. Who knows? I, I think there was a casting notice for it. So I think that uh, it supposedly is supposed to come. I don't think NT Live is going to. I also don't know how it's going to play here, yeah. to be honest. It's it's uh, a very it's a very British orientated yeah. thing because it's all about the England uh, football team yeah. or soccer team as you say, yeah. and uh, I I I, yeah. I one of my favorite movies is Bennett like Beckham I get it you call it football yeah watch Ted Lasso <laughs> I know what's up it's football it's football yeah Ted Lasso brilliant show by the way um, yeah shout out to Christo who's a friend of mine and thank you love you man. Cool. But uh, yeah, he came to uh, see us in Guildford a couple of times. We had a night out with him after our showcase. So we were there at the bar. Just It's very weird seeing Cristo Fernandez. If anyone doesn't know, it's Danny Rojas and Ted Lasso. It's just going, it's like, Ollie, do you want tequila? Do you want tequila? And I was like, yeah, I'll have tequila. So like, they're drinking Corona and tequila with, yeah. uh, with, with uh, Cristo. It was amazing. 
Um, but yeah, you know, it's a very, I'm not sure how it would translate over there because, you know, it's all about the England uh, football team and everything yeah. like that. But, uh, but who knows, there might be an audience, there might be an audience for yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I know that I, I, I personally think that like a lot of British theater does well in New York, but I mm. mean, I also like that stuff. I mean, they did that play Ink here mm. uh, and I, I loved it. I think it did fairly well. I know that Bertie Carville won a Tony for it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, trying to think. I'm curious to see how Shucked is going to do in London because mm. I know they're bringing that over there. Mm. And somebody I know who lives in the UK who I saw for like an hour or so when I was last in London, he, when he was in New York, he saw Shucked and he even said he's very curious to see how it's going to play. Interesting. Yeah. there because it there's a it's very it's very american um <laughs> it's very funny but i mean yeah i'm curious i mean i know like the transfers work really well depending on the musical and the show and stuff and they're yeah they're talking about how um what are they bringing up they're bringing sunset boulevard over here yeah sunset and boulevard. they're Which talking about Nicole Scherzinger pretty much like the whole main cast is coming over yeah and a lot of people in new york are very excited about it mm. like a lot of people in new york and uh they were talking about that one scene where he sings sunset boulevard on the street and they're like yeah. what theater would that work at like would that be okay to do in new york new yorkers might be that not nice to this person who's <laughs> singing on the street yeah yeah but um yeah that's a good that'd be a good one i'm just thinking about um that's you know, it's great we go off on all these um, tangents, all these everything, all these aspects. I think we were talking about a little life. Yeah. yeah we were, yes. Life. Yes. We're going back to it. So with your, because like you, you're stepping into the director's chair now and everything, I know you've done your virtual stuff, but um, uh, you know, I think over here when a little life was first announced, obviously it, we had some awareness of it because the book came out in 2015 and, you know, people were, were sort of aware of it, but there was a big question of what theater can and can't show because it was definitely one of those plays that really really pushed the boundaries and really showed a lot of things and i remember i was i was lucky enough to see it and i managed to sit on the stage because there was stage seating oh cool and which was i i would story. very much like to hear your experience of that when you're done saying what you're oh, saying oh yeah don't worry we'll get to that in a second um and it was one of those amazing experience uh but i remember just there were a lot of people and I've, just to be clear my opinion was yes absolutely that play had every given right to be shown because you know as rocky says you know some sometimes life isn't all sunshine and rainbows some people are just dealt a bad hand and if theater is true to its roots and true to storytelling it's mm -hmm. obviously clear not everyone has the best introduction to life or some people's lives are not as good as other people um which sadly is just how how it goes really but um, but I remember, so with your perspective in as being a director now and um, thinking about- We're attempting like, to be a director. Well, like, hopefully. well, yeah. well it's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen. But, um, and you're- I did get paid for one of my virtual readings I did do. So I'm technically yeah. like- Yeah. Paid director. Yeah. Yes, you are a paid director and it's on the CV. Um, mm -hmm. So I saw where I'm going with this is um, where do you stand on how how far do you think- theater can go to the point where you've probably got audiences well to be fair some audience members did walk out of a little life but not hopefully not too many but to a point where you go too far and to, what, is there a limit do you think on how much theater can show you know i don't i don't think there is a limit to be honest because i think there's 
there's something out there for everyone. And I think that some people can handle things and some people can't. Mm. Um, I mean, I wasn't, I also, when I saw Little Life, I fully admit to you and I admit to everybody listening, watching, what have you, I did not read the book. I did Wikipedia it. So I knew. No, me, what neither. Was me neither. I, I read okay. it before. I neither. So. Yeah. So, I mean, when I did go to the stage door, I did kind of get from people like, you didn't read the book and you saw the show. Blah, 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 blah. Um, I, I might have had a different experience if I had read the book first, but yeah. I wasn't as traumatized seeing <laughs> play as other people are. And I think that's because maybe me or society or certain people are so desensitized to like seeing so much stuff out in the world and in the media and in art and film and television, like I've been there, done that type of thing, you know? Yeah. So for me, I was just more interested in seeing the show because they were calling it like the like West End event of the year or something. I don't, mm. yeah. yeah, was yeah it was that it... in London? Was it oh, like- Oh yeah, huge people called it the okay. play of last year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, to be honest with you, I don't really know if and when that, I know they did the Dutch version in Brooklyn, but I haven't really like heard any hype or anything about people wanting or hearing it coming to New York. I know that when I interviewed somebody for my podcast and I told them I saw it in London, they were like, oh my God, you did? And they're a New Yorker. Um, yeah, I don't really know what I, I, I no, no, I don't think there is a limit. I think, you know, people, if they're like, I, I've, I've been in stuff, I've seen stuff, I've heard of stuff where things are just fucking crazy. Yeah. People just go there. And I think if you warn audiences beforehand that some shit is going to go down, then they're aware of it. And it's up to them whether or not they want to see it. Like they did a production of 1984, the play in New York. I did not see it because it was not something I was interested in. And there was a yeah, performance who I'm not a fan of that I did not want to pay money to see. Um, but apparently like the torture scene, people were throwing up in the audience and people would leave, like was very uncomfortable for them. So, I mean, I think theater could be subjective. It, you know, it, like I said, there's something for everybody. And if you know what the show is and it's not of interest to you, don't see it. Somebody else will take your ticket. Yeah. Well, that's good. I think we need to keep telling these stories. We need to keep pushing yeah. them out. Yeah. And that's what's so great about theater. Like I said, there's something for everybody. Like I was telling my aunt last week, like, oh, there's the show. It's about this. She goes, no, I don't want to see a show that has that subject matter. It's something I'm not interested in. Yeah. Okay, great. Somebody else will see it. Like when I, like I said, when I concierge and I, one of my big things was selling theater tickets and people are like, oh, I heard Kinky Boots is really good. And I would say, are you okay with drag queens? And they said, no. And I said, you should not see Kinky Boots. Yeah. Because that you know? show is drag queens. It's all drag. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, people will hear a show or they'll hear something great about it, but not know what it is. Hmm. So I think also like having a little bit of knowledge of what a show is before you go into it, just yeah. because you're great and won a lot of Tonys. Well, guess what? You might not like it. No, no. Some some yeah. things win award after award and you go and watch it. Say, oh, what's all the hype about? And you walk yeah. out like, was that it? Yeah. 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 Like, oh, yeah. well, that's a bit overrated, isn't it? But um, mm-hmm. but it's on the flip side. Sometimes you walk out of something and you're like, wow, I can see why, you know. 
but um <laughs> i did um i did a play at drama school called um widows and uh my mom doesn't like talking about this i've talked about this on previous episodes and doesn't one of the characters get like tied up and tortured or something or maybe uh, really different yeah it's well funny enough okay. it's it was co it's written by ariel dorfman and um tony kushner um i don't know if you know the play at all it's it sounds familiar but yeah it's like an allegory of the chilean dictatorship there's a man called augusto pinochet who was um he's up there with hitler and mussolini he's one of the most evil men on the planet i think he ruled chile from 1970 to 1991 if my memory serves me correctly uh and he was just an evil evil man and the play is basically a a take on the secret police so anyone who spoke out against the regime was essentially tracked down hunted abducted tortured and killed and just thrown into in a hole in the ground and yeah. the wives and children would be like, where's my dad or where's my mom or where's my son, where's my daughter? The police would go, I have no idea, but they know yeah. exactly where they are. And I yeah. played this character called Alexis. Kind of like, uh, what is it, the Troubles in Ireland? Yeah. Northern Ireland at the time? Yeah. I'm just thinking, play the ferryman, sorry. Yeah, oh, the ferryman, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, and I played this guy called Alexis who, um, because we're all student cast, you know, some people playing characters who should be in their 40s, we're all in our 20s, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Anyway, but um, so I played this guy, Alexis, who should have been about 12 or 13. But so I just sort of did my best to sort of remember my early teenage years um, mm -hmm. into it. And there's a couple of moments where whenever I was on stage, essentially I got beaten up or just had the shit kicked out of me. And mm -hmm. I didn't tell my mum about it before because I genuinely, and this is honest truth, I didn't think it would be a problem because they, she knows it's theater, she knows it's safe and everything else. But afterwards I went up to my mum and she looked at me and she went, I, uh, what, what did you think? And she went, I never want to see that happen to you again. And I was like, I was like, mum, it's, it's cool, it's fine, it's, it's not a problem. She went, no, no, I you don't understand. So I never, I say the word widows around it now. She goes, no, no, I'm not talking about it, I'm not talking about it. So, but yeah. I think there is, but like you say, you know, some people, don't like something but other people will yeah. like it and stuff you know it's all about opinions you know and I've I've gone to things which I've absolutely hated and gone what the freaking hell was that all about and then you read the comments of on it on social media people go oh my god it's one of the best things I've ever seen and yeah. a part of me is like what is wrong with you yeah. people have yeah. said things to my face about shows that I say that I love and they don't and yeah. I'm like, I wasn't a fan of this. You weren't a fan of this show. But getting back to you being in the show Widows, when mm. I was in college, yeah. I did Trojan Women. Yeah. And I think I was cast because I was a female. I think they just cast every person who was a female. Um, <laughs> I did like a pre-show scene where I was assaulted mm -hmm. stage. And I told my parents that it was happening. Right. And one of the performances that my dad went to, he goes, it's a good thing you told me because if you didn't, I would have gotten up <laughs> and done something. <laughs> yeah. Maybe next time tell your parents that yeah. things are happening so they are aware of. Oh, yeah, I learned, yeah, I learned that lesson. Yeah. And funny enough, yeah. I took, um, yeah, I learned that lesson. <laughs> I took my mom to, um, uh, it feels weird saying this, but I'll screw it. So I took my mom to see um, the screening of A Little Life. They beamed it in the cinemas because I... Did they do they don't show the nudity, do they? No, 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 no. They did okay. you know, because yeah. yeah, it's it's known now that James Norton didn't wear any clothes at certain points. Um, but no, the way they edited it made it they yeah. they didn't show any, anything of him. They showed him naked, of course, but not like anything sort of major, um, which I thought was very good on on their part. Um, but uh, I remember walking. I, th I just thought my mum would get something from this because she's read a lot of stories about the Catholic Church and all that kind of thing. 
And I told her about it and she went, okay, yeah, let's go and see it. And afterwards I said to her, she was like, oh my God, she took so much away from it. She really enjoyed it. But afterwards yeah. I said, um, so if I was playing Jude, uh, would you like me to tell you? She went, yeah, if you were playing Jude, I will not come and see you. I love what you do. I love watching yeah. you do what you love doing and being an actor and being podcaster, theater maker, whatever it is. But if you're doing Jude, don't, I'm sorry, I won't come and see you do it. I, I can't watch that happen to you. And spill out that story about your dad, you know, who would have got up on been like, get your, get your hands off Alistair. And it's like, dad, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But you know, but I think it's also a testament to that. He believed it. He believed what was yeah. happening and he didn't want to see his, yeah. His daughter getting hurt anyway in any way of course you weren't but that illusion was enough to, be well, able to, to do that um i did slice my chin open on somebody's costume right okay during one of those, <laughs> one of those performances and okay. i had a sleep <laughs> and went, went to the emergency room so i do i don't know i think i still have like a slight scar on my chin from it but all right it looked great for the scene but mm. afterwards not so much okay so just to be clear so not in that scene you were hurt but in the next one after that thankfully no yeah not the one my dad came to see me in. or maybe it happened one of the performances because it gets thrown into one of the soldiers one of the soldiers costume pieces was like flipped up like one uh, of the metal pieces and my face went into him and I didn't know I cut my chin open until like I'm back lying on the floor and I feel like blood uh -oh. and I snuck, snuck off the stage and I all, and then I tripped over a wagon. It was like one thing after the other and I'm an emotional sick. So whenever I don't feel good, you know, I don't feel good when I start to cry yeah. and I already had the headache and I just wasn't feeling well that day. And so I get backstage, I start hysterically crying yeah. and like the assistant director is freaking out. And I'm like, I'm not crying because I sliced my chin open. I'm crying because I have a headache. <laughs> and so the actual director wasn't there. And it's like this college age student who's like assistant directing this production. And like one of the performers sliced her chin open. Like she, she was losing her shit. She did not know what to do. Yeah. Um, and then I found out from like the stagehands who I like befriended because I worked at that theater. Um, that I got blood all over the stage, but <laughs> they had to clean it up. So yeah. And even uh, like the school security had to come over and check on me because they're like, if there's an incident that happens on campus, mm -hmm. like we need to make, and I was like, Hey, what's up guys? Like, yeah, I sliced my chin open. Like I was totally <laughs> fine, but yeah, it's funny with those things. You don't feel it. You're like it literally yeah. just, you like something happens and you look down and then just, <laughs> you're like, what? Oh, oh dear. I don't even I don't even think I got blood on my costume. How? I, got, I don't know. I don't know. I also had the best costume. It was literally just like a tunic and like leggings, and that's all I had. I had like the easiest costume. But yeah. That's, imp that's impressive. I need, I need to know how you did that. Because wardrobe would have absolutely loved you. It'd be like, oh my God, are you okay? Well, your costume's fine. Okay. <laughs> but um, Well, no, I think yeah. I probably would have said to the person, like, did I get blood on it? And I think they said no. Yeah. The costume person liked me anyway, so. Okay, well, that's fine. Yeah, as long as you make, make, make good relationship with costume guys. You, yeah. But the point of the story is tell your parents before something happens to you on stage. Yes. So yes. Yeah. If something yeah. bad happens to you guys, yeah, just yeah, yeah tell them because I learned that lesson the hard way. Yeah. 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 Because my mom just looked at me and went, I just don't ever mention that word to me again. Yeah. I even say the word widow. She's like, don't talk to yeah. me. <laughs> well, I think it's, you know, hard to see like a child or a family member or someone you love go through something, even though it's fake. 
you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Hugely. But that it's, again, cuts them into your acting of like how good it was that your mom was freaking out that you were getting beaten up on stage. Uh, yeah. I'm, I know it sounds weird, but I was actually quite flattered with that. <laughs> that She yeah. believed it. Yeah. And there's, um, there's a line in, uh, towards the end actually, which really stick, uh, sticks with both of us actually. So, um, so if she's like, mom, if you're listening to this, just close your ears for the next few minutes. Um, there's a moment where at the end, um, without giving too much away, um, I'm with Alexis is with his grandmother, Sophia, and they're, they're in a bit of a pickle. That's all I'll say. And, um, she puts his hand on the floor or in the ground and she says, put your hand in, put, um, God, I can't speak. Uh, so, uh, put your hand in the ground. It's your father's hand. And, um, it's kind of a spiritual thing, uh, you know, connect with the ones from the past, etc. I won't give you the context. So that'll spoil the end of the play. But, um, my, my granddad, um, passed away a few years ago. And, uh, I remember afterwards, my mom came up to me and she, and she said, um, that line, but put your hand in the earth. It's your father's hand. It reminded me of my dad. And she just went, nope, no, no, no. And I was like, yeah. So even though it was probably, a, I, I didn't see it. I still haven't seen it back. I don't know if it was ever recorded or anything, but you know, it was a comp. Yeah. Even though it's like, tell your parents, make sure, but it's actually a compliment to say, yeah, that they believed you. And they and also they the power of theater that your mom remembered this one particular line. Yeah. So despite it being a bit traumatic for us, she actually does remember it. So yeah. 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 I mean, but I'm a little traumatized I'm, from like seeing the first Harry Potter cursed child when like the hand pops out of the grave. That because yeah. you're saying that that's what it reminded me of. I'm sorry. I know that's totally yeah. different. No, 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 absolutely. No, I haven't yeah. seen it yet. I haven't seen the cursed child yet. I know I'm one of the very few people. So yeah. Well, I I don't think they changed the London production of it because it used to be two parts and now it's just one part. Oh, I didn't know the that. Pandemic. So okay. I was fortunate to see the original because they brought like the original cast to New York. Yeah. Um, so I remember seeing it with one of my best friends and I literally jumped into her when that happened because it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> but they took not to spoil anything, but they took that part out. Yeah. I don't cool. know. I don't think they changed in London yet, but uh, we'll find know. out. We'll find out. Yeah. Well, I, remember, now. I still were being traumatized by the prisoner of Azkaban. Prisoner of Azkaban? Yeah, with the Dementors first come on the train in the film. I went yeah. to bed that night like Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah. terrible. That's why I've only seen Phantom twice because the music really freaks me out. Yeah. Oh, so, Phantom of the Opera. I don't know why it freaks me out. Although the movie I enjoyed. Yeah. So that was yeah. my that's when my love of Patrick Wilson started. It was him as yeah. Raul. And like Jared, Yeah, Jared Butler, Emma Tom Emma yeah. oh, what was her name? Emma Emmy Rossum. Emmy Rossum, yeah. I know you said Emma Thompson. That's a completely different person. Yes, Emma Thompson played um, Christine Daae. She was very Emma. wonderful. She was very she wonderful. Was I saw her um, not so by my apartment is Columbus Circle. So years ago, I saw her walking through Columbus Circle and I said, like, oh, Emma Thompson. Yeah. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah. And yeah, I was just bringing back, I was going to tell you about the little life experience being yeah. on stage. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was amazing you're right up and close with them you know and where i was you know there's a moment where luke thompson lies down on the stage and just his character sort of dozes off and mm -hmm. uh if literally if i just did that if i just leaned over just a little bit more than i'm doing now i could have did just you whisper in his ear come on my podcast yeah yeah i'm in touch with your agent <laughs> or something like that he said no to me too it's fine right so all right we'll figure this out we'll figure this yeah. out but um um yeah it was amazing of course actually you know it was a it was a dream really because funny enough i nearly got a job being a, an usher or, or a guy who sells 
ice cream yeah. at the theater. Mm -hmm. I, I they do not sell ice cream in New York theaters because oh, I've yeah. been that and they do not do that. Uh, why is that? Why do they not do that? I don't know, but you guys don't have playbills and we do. You guys have programs we have to buy. Yeah, but playbills are your programs though, aren't they? Yeah, but we also, depending on the show, have souvenir programs. Oh, yeah. Like so, we and have stuff. programs and souvenir programs. Now we just have a program. That's it. Yeah. You know, I know. I, I I bought all of them when I was in London. For every <laughs> show I saw. Like a big collection you've got like at the end. Really, I mean, today I have, now I'm going to have to like list off everything that I saw. Shape of Things, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, A Little Life Twice. Um, yeah. what else? I saw Brokeback Mountain. Oh, yeah. And I saw Great Expectations. So I got a program for each one. Yeah. Just coming back. How was London? Very good. <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, my God. I I would live there in a heartbeat. Yeah. I loved it. I had the time of my life. I had the oh. best time. No, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe one day. I don't. I had like the most, ironically, like I also love British history. Yeah. So the day I saw Little Life for the first time was the most niche day for me because I did a tour of the globe. And then I did a private small group tour of the Tower of London. And then I saw a play. So like if there was ever a day that said like, this is an Allison day, it would have been that day. Yeah. God, that's, that's a good day. That's a good day. Yeah, yeah we're talking about the globe. I'm talking about the globe next, actually. But mm -hmm. um, but when you sat on stage of a little life and you see the it was such a blessing, actually, because yeah. you know, being an actor, I saw how they played off each other. I could see how much rehearsal they'd done and I could yeah. see how they were just literally. And it's very simple. Just listened to each other and reacted to each yeah. other and people go oh you need to feel all these things you need to have this amazing knowledge behind you so actually training i mean like no you just simply need to be in the moment listen and mm -hmm. react that's that's it okay. and actually being up close and personal with them was it was fantastic and uh, well i think i'll just take this opportunity for both of us to give a shout out to our mutual friend elliot cohen so hello elliot hope you're doing well and uh well yeah, he's doing a lot of building work at the moment, his Instagram stories. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it was just an amazing, amazing experience and one that mm -hmm. I'd love to do again. But I was very lucky to get that ticket because yeah. I, I nearly got a job at the theatre, you know, as I say, selling ice creams or being an usher or behind the bar or whatever. But yeah. I, I had to turn it down. It was, I won't go into the details. It was just wasn't, wasn't for me. The environment wasn't great. But yeah. um but yeah, but I contacted the girl who, when I told him, I'm, thanks very much for the opportunity, but I'm not going to take this job. Um, she went, okay, I'm sorry to hear that. Here, we'll pay you for your time here and everything. Here's your pay slip and all that. And I said, all right, cool, thanks. Um, just out of curiosity, I know the show on the website, I know it says it's sold out completely, but is, can you tell me about any returns? Is there any possible way I can get a, a ticket for this? like anywhere. And she wrote back saying, um, yeah, of course. So we've saved like a certain number of tickets for each show, whether it's so on the Monday, so on Monday, on a Monday, the following week, there'll be some ticket release, if that makes sense. And, um, and all she said, and also just keep an eye out, there's some stage seats that will be, will become available as well. So I thought, oh, great, right. So it just happened to go on the website that time. And there was one stage seat left for a Thursday matinee. And I, I was like, oh, great. So I looked at my non-acting job rotor and I wasn't working that day. I thought, right, just book it, just book it now. So, yeah. and um, and I got it. And then I went along and I, thought, I literally went along to see what all the fuss was about because a lot of people were talking about the book and how it traumatized them and how it was a lot of people. Um, a friend of mine actually took a friend of hers who works with um, uh, 
a, a particular therapy, uh, the therapist sort of not chain, I can't think what the word is, but she works with a company who who's involved, who's, who's therapy based and her sort of area, which she deals with on a daily basis are people who've been victims of sexual assault or sexual abuse. And she went along to see it. And she got such an emotional, like visceral reaction from it, that my yeah. friend told me that her friend literally had to like do this sometimes just like turn away or put a hand over her eyes or because it yeah. felt so real and what they executed in front of them was so real and mm-hmm. um yeah and that was just one of those things that i'll tell you what it was it was one of those things that made me realize that theater is such a huge and um, powerful thing you know for everyone involved for the actors and the audience as well as all the backstage crew it really gives you an opportunity to really get involved in something that's happening before your eyes and is very, very, very real. And yeah. it's, it can be funny, it can be verbose, it can be exciting, it can be fucking terrifying, or mm-hmm. it can be so difficult to watch, but ultimately it shows you what life is all about. And yeah. I agree with you, there is no limit. There is no mm-hmm. limit on how far it can go. Obviously, there'll be some things that are not my thing and I won't see, but other people will see it. So there's always going to be an audience for these things. Yeah. And yeah, I'd say thank you to theatre for not only existing, but helping us show us who we really are and yeah. and everything in between. So yeah. yeah, God, that was very philosophical there. I don't know what came over me, but, <laughs> but yeah. That's the impact of theatre. That's what happens. Now, I am... Yeah. Um... I did not, well, did not sit on stage for that, as we know, but he directed uh, Ivo, Evo? Evo, directed, yeah. Evo directed a production of A View from the Bridge that they brought yes. to New York. Mark and Strong. I got yes. to see, yeah, yeah, and I got to see that production from on stage. And the only thing I just remember was that it rained blood at the end. Yeah. That was so fucking cool. But when I saw this production, I'm like, this isn't very Evo-ish. And then this huge black box came down on the set. <laughs> and it's like, and there it is. Because there you, it is. Because for those who have seen it, I'm sorry if I'm spoiling it for anybody who hasn't or wants to see it at some point in their life. But they had the, um, the side of the stage had video of the streets of New York. And when Jude was going through something, it would speed up or mm. it'd be like white noise visuals. Yeah, uh, that's very Ivo-ish. But aside from like that and like the black box, I didn't really feel like it was anything different than anything else, like not in a bad way. Mm. Yeah, because I think th- there's some director traits where you go and watch it and it's like, oh, that's very uh, Evo or that's very um, uh, Jeremy Arian or um, Thea Sharrock or, or well, when you watch a film, you know, that's very kind of... Yeah. Baz Luhrmann or very Steven Spielberg or something like yeah. that. You know, it's, you are kind of, I think it's good to have traits because people know it's you and you've made a unique stamp on things. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's like, is that all you want to be known as? And that kind of opens yeah. up a whole new perspective really, doesn't it? I will be curious to know if they do bring this production to New York and where it would play. Mm. Um, I did, when I staged Dord, um, I was someone's videographer when they were meeting James Norton. Mm. And I befriended these two girls and one of them, I guess they heard me say to one of the actors, like, oh, I like your accent. He goes, oh, thanks. I'm like, oh, I'm from here, blah, blah, blah. And so I think, I don't know how the topic came up with them and the accent, but they like pointed at me and they're like, and she's from New York. 
And so when he and I were talking, he's like, oh yeah, if we bring it to New York, like I'm going to have to really make sure I work on my accent. I'm like, oh, your accent was great. And I was like, where would it go to New York? He goes, I don't think Broadway, but I think either like this location or the armory. So there's this huge armory on Park Avenue called the Park Avenue Armory, where they do performances and art installations and sh like trade shows and different things. And so mm. it would make sense if it were to go there. Yeah. And I tell you what, this is something I thought about earlier, which was um, a lot of actors talk about how um, who do the West End, mm -hmm. sorry, excuse me, uh, and to Broadway. They say that Broadway audiences are a lot more vocal than West End audiences. Um, Kerry Mulligan did a play called Skylight, which was just shown again here, um, which I don't know if you saw. Which was... Oh, I saw it. I am a very oh. big Kerry Mulligan. One of my favorite movies is in education. So yeah. I'm a big Kerry Mulligan fan. And my friend was kind enough to bring me with him to see the show because he knew how much I loved her. Love her, yeah. I should say. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Her and Bill Nye, um, which is fantastic. Um, yeah. I missed the original one that was back in 2014, but a recording of it was made and they showed it again just before Christmas, just gone. Yes. I saw it I saw it twice. It was just like, oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, it was a beautiful play. Yeah, and so Kerry Mulligan did an interview and she was talking about how in London, people are very quite quiet and attentive unless they're playing with their phone, of course. But mm -hmm. um, he said in America, <laughs> it got to Broadway and she makes, if anyone who hasn't seen it, she makes a spaghetti bolognese during the show. And um, she was cutting up the onions one night and this lady in the sort of third row was just like, oh my God, there's onions. <laughs> and then cutting up the guy, oh my God, garlic. And it's like, it's like shush. <laughs> I don't know. Is that a thing for Broadway? People get a lot more interactive and involved in it. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. I mean, I people have also talked about entrance applause. Yeah. I've seen movies that, yeah. you know, especially Broadway, they get entrance applause. Yeah. Um, in the UK, they don't. I haven't experienced enough British theatre to say whether or not the big difference. But I mean, New York, it's America. People are just loud. And vocal. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm like now I'm trying to think of like if I've had or witnessed people talking to like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. I don't think my theater experience I've had witnessed that, but like watch next time I see a show, whenever that is, I will witness that. Yeah. Um, now I've just witnessed like people being drunk and getting kicked out, cell phones going off, people talking during the show. Yeah. I I, I mean, that. I've seen people like video from the front row. Yeah. yeah, but I'm 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 sure somebody and people have like spoken back to things that are happening on the stage. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Of course, that goes backstage, and then they're talking amongst each other and everything. Yeah. They they aren't taking note of what's going on. Uh, well, there, what's guys, so funny is, yeah, I saw uh, this play called The Collaboration, which I know that they did in the UK with Jeremy Pope and Paul Bettany. Yeah, and uh, I saw it uh, like about a year ago, and there was a piece, there was a prop that fell off the stage and mm -hmm. hit my foot. And it was an Ooh. art piece. It was like a crayon or something. Oh god! And so like the entirety of the rest of the show, I'm like, is it there? Do I put it back on the stage? Do I take it? Do I put it back on the stage? So I'm like, I'm gonna put it back. So at the end of the show, I just plopped it back on stage and I like went on my way. And I interviewed Eric Jensen, who was in the show, who I'm happy to call a friend now. Yeah. And I brought that up and he's like, that was you? Because we we talked about it backstage and how, how the person was kind enough to put that back on the stage for us <laughs> and like how to prevent it. So things like that happen. Oh, yeah, I think they do. Yeah. I've got a question here about what some yeah. of the 
what's some of your craziest uh, backstage <laughs> moments that you've been involved with or that you've that you've heard of do you think it's something we were kind of talking a little bit about before yeah I'm just like now like I'm brain farting I can't think of any I mean aside from like slicing my chin open oh well, yeah stage, apart from that yeah <laughs> apart from that's probably the craziest um I don't know I mean when I directed a show during the pandemic there wasn't a great experience with a tech person and it upset a lot of the performers and I'm not going to go into more detail mm -hmm. um but let's just say when you get a text message from the lead pretty much of the play saying something then it's an issue yeah um I can't really think of, I mean, just like going back to senior year, just like people putting earworms into people's ears and then saying mm. something to you, like <laughs> things like that. Um, <laughs> the first performance of how I learned to drive my senior, like the play I directed, like one of the performers skipped like a very like good directing moment I had and like the head of the department was there seeing it which is fine it happens but I can't really think of like anything crazy I mean like front of house stuff you see things like I said like you know somebody passing out and like getting taken away in an ambulance um oh my god my favorite this did not happen to me but somebody told me they were working at a show and it was at the Richard Rogers Theater. So when you enter the theater on the right-hand side, it is like the entrance to Orchid, sorry, I Manhattan Sirens, mm -hmm. if you can hear it, um, is right orchestra and you go straight and then it's left orchestra. And in between, there's also like the bathrooms there, mm -hmm. like each side, like men and women. And then like in between that are the merch booths. And then to the left is the stairs to go up to the mezzanine. So somebody was sitting like they were like, I was at my merch booth. Somebody came from left orchestra running to the men's bathroom mm. and, you know, they left whatever. And you just, the person was having stomach issues and there was like poop on the floor. Okay. From like running. Yeah. Mm. So that happened. That's disgusting. That's nasty. <laughs> <laughs> was that Cleveland says and family guy? I can't really think of like any crazy backstage stuff. I mean, I haven't. Yeah, I think I think that's it. Yeah, like, the biggest one placing my chin open. Great, I love that. Here one. we go. That's fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah. So cool. I've just got a few more things for you, Alison. Yeah, of course. You can just finish up, but uh, but we'll we'll have to get a part two in. We have so much more to talk about. I think this is great. Um, so, do you have a? a What's one of the best things that you've ever seen in the theater? Like favorite performance? Thank you for, I ask everybody this as well on my podcast. Oh, yeah, do you? <laughs> oh, I do. Um, I have a list. It is Leah Schreiber in talk radio. Mm -hmm. I just remember seeing the show and saying to myself, oh, so that's what acting is. Literally had that moment seeing it. Um, Danny Burstein and Beth Level in The Drowsy Chaperone. Yeah. Uh, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, like one of my favorite musicals of all time. Once the musical, um, I remember just like every time I saw it and I saw it, I'd say like three or four times off Broadway. And one of the times that I saw it, 
nobody applauded during the first act because everyone was just so immersed and so like into the show that they didn't want anything to ruin it. Yeah. So that was like a big thing. Uh, The Ferryman. Mm-hmm. Seeing that play, I saw it twice. And even though I saw it twice, I was still very shocked and frazzled about what happens at the end, having seen it. Uh, my second time, I was like, oh, but you know, yeah. you knew it was coming. Um, the History Boys. Yeah. Act. Um, I also really loved seeing the play Next Fall on Broadway. Mm-hmm. That was great. Um, and there's a play on that was in the UK that they brought over called Brief Encounter. Mm-hmm. It's based on the movie. And it's probably one of like the most creative pieces of theater I've ever seen on a Broadway stage. And I, I was lucky enough to get to see that twice also. Yeah. Fantastic. So I think those have to be like my top. I'm sure there's other others that will come up, but yeah. That, oh, you also want to talk about Prima Facie at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Prima Facie. Um, yeah, that's, I, I remember that it was one of the most, I think that was the theater event of 2022 that, that mm-hmm. just, because Jodie was just exceptional in that. She was fantastic. Um, I remember um, I've had a few people on the show actually talking about this. I've had Kate Godfrey, who was in the rehearsal room with her, uh, Danny Arlington, who was her understudy both here and in New York, who actually got a show in both locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Doug Kerr, who helped design the mm-hmm. the, uh, the the artwork of both Jodie's faces in that, which... and. Mm-hmm. I was not going to talk to him about that. And he's just, that was great. Um, yeah, what was the reaction over here? Again, going back to what we were talking about and how far can theatre go and stuff like that. And yeah. her, her play talks about, you know, sexual assault and um, Tessa, who's a lawyer who fights yeah. to bring this awful crime to justice mm-hmm. until something serious happens to her. And then she sort of finds her way through it. Um, yeah, over here, just audiences really went mad for it. You couldn't get a ticket. It was it was just crazy. It's, what, what, it's same here. Yeah, what was the what was the reaction in Broadway in New York? Oh, it was, I probably the same. I mean, for me personally, I just I didn't want to talk to anybody after the show. I just needed to be like, I just needed to like sit with my feelings and what I just saw. I thought her performance in the show itself was just exquisite. Like it was exquisite and just very well-deserved Tony. Like I knew part of like, you know, the, um, like the video release that they have of the show, like what it's about and what's this, but I didn't know like more of what happened or like more to come. Like I knew what happened, but I didn't like visually know cause they didn't release anything. Mm. Uh, it was just, it was a great piece of theater and very well done, amazingly performed, and a very important piece of theater, I think, as well. Mm. Um, you know, for a lot of people out there in the world, I think it's very important. Uh, yeah, it's, it was exquisite, just exquisite. That's mm. And a lot of people I know who saw it felt the same way. It was a very hard ticket to get. I managed to, like, when they first went on sale, I knew it was going to be a hard ticket. So I got like a seat in the last row of the mezzanine. Cause that's also one of the smallest theaters on Broadway. So I'm like, it's going to be fine if I sit all the way up there. Yeah. And my friend, she's like, oh, I should have gotten a ticket. And she like magically got like tickets somehow. So yeah. Mm. Yeah. It, it, yeah. The John Golden theater. It was that yeah. one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
What's it like there? That's the theater where the person passed out and had to be taken out of the lobby. Oh, wow. Was it? Very tiny. Um, it's it's one of the small theaters um, on the Broadway. You know, it's interesting. I interviewed somebody and they asked me like what my favorite theater on Broadway is. Because I, you know, when I go to, when I go to shows, I don't really like, oh my God, this theater is so beautiful. It's like the most gorgeous theater I've ever seen. Like, I don't do that. Although I will say the Belasco Theater is stunning. Mm -hmm. uh, but my favorite theater is at Lincoln Center. It's the Vivian Beaumont Theater. It's my favorite theater. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite musicals, Light in the Piazza was performed there. Yeah. Um, I saw, maybe I should add that to my list as well. Uh, the yeah. reunion concert of Light in the Piazza that I saw. I don't remember the second half of it because I was crying so much. My vision was blurry, <laughs> but um, yeah, that that's my personal favorite theater, but yeah. yeah. And what's Carnegie Hall like? Is that of interest? Well, they have different performance spaces in Carnegie Hall. Yeah, like, um, the, like the main one, like the main, the main one. Yeah, yeah. I think I've only ever been there a few times and it was never to see like an actual like opera singer or orchestra or pianist the first time i ever went there was to see a, a comedian named stephen lynch mm -hmm. and he opened his show with the song about aids and he even said mm -hmm. i can't believe i just opened my show at carnegie hall with the song about aids so that's how i remember it was a song about aids <laughs> um and then i saw glenn hansard there and i saw jessica vosk perform there so i think i saw Maybe Glenn Hansard or twice, definitely once. But um, yeah, sorry, my chair keeps falling down. So you see me like shrinking. It's because <laughs> of my chair. No, I didn't uh, notice. Yeah. Yeah, no, with Carnegie Hall, it's just, I think the acoustics are really good for what it's supposed to be. There's different levels. You know, it's the same with the opera house. There's different levels. There's side seating. It's really cool. I mean, I, I love history and I'm like, oh, old school New York. I'm such a nerd about that stuff. So just to like, oh, this is so cool going to Carnegie Hall to like see something even though it's not like a violinist or something it's still to me that's really cool yeah that's definitely on the yeah. bucket list to get to Carnegie Hall yeah. looks amazing yeah. fantastic mm -hmm. and Alison I could I could sit here with you for another two hours and just talk all about theater this has just been fantastic and but well let's do this again let's do this for yeah, sure I'm, I'm around <laughs> yeah. yeah I just got two more questions uh for, yeah. for, for you today um so we finish uh, the first one is, um, so this can apply to your work or to life in, in general. So, so what's, what's a piece of advice you wish you'd heard when you were starting out in this business that you, yeah, that you wish you'd heard then rather than later on? You know, I don't think it's, there's really nothing to be honest that I can think of. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's always like, don't be an asshole. Um, you know, don't rely on other people for stuff, but that's, that's personal. Um, but there's this quote that I love from Laura Linney that like when Facebook, you could put quotes on your Facebook page back in the day, it was one yeah. of them. Yeah. And it was something on the lines of like, don't let anybody tell you you're just one thing because nobody is one thing. Mm. And I really love that because I do believe that. And, you know, this sounds like so corny cliche, but people are layered, you know, people have things that they go through and different life experiences and, you know, typecasting is a thing and you want to go against type and all that. And 
Yeah, I just, I think that's a really good piece of advice. Like nobody's one thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That's but I mean, like other ones were like personal that I don't really want to like divulge into the world, but. No, 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 no. It's like your, later. your personal yeah, experience. Not really. I mean, no, I've just, I'm constantly getting the same advice from people or like I delve out the type of same advice. Like, you know, I always think like everything happens for a reason. And if something didn't happen the way it wasn't supposed to go, you know, it could be delusional that I think this, but, you know, if something didn't happen the way it was supposed to, it wasn't meant to be, mm. you know, um, during like these readings when we couldn't cast one person, they weren't meant to do it. Like another person will, or like, oh, this didn't person, this, you know, I invite all these people and only these people showed up. Well, guess what? Those were the people that were supposed to be there mm. for you at this time, at this dinner, at this party, whatever. Yeah. So I think that's another, that's my life advice. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> things yeah. are, things happen the way they're supposed to. Brilliant. No, I'm the same. I think that's great. And just to finish on, uh, was the last mm -hmm. question for every guest. Yeah. Um, uh, when, when you come out for part two, this will be slightly different, but okay, uh, what, what's been an experience or experiences you've had in your career up to this point that you're never, ever going to forget? Oh, well, it's definitely because I don't ever stop talking about them. <laughs> and it's been like almost four years now are the virtual play readings I did. Mm. And I say that because I've never had an experience like that before. Yeah. It definitely introduced me to a lot of performers who I can, that I'm friendly with now. I'm definitely like I like I said like I have a working relationship with Neil Labute now which is like I know how to write um and how to produce I know how to write offer letters uh offer emails which is great yeah and I think that making these relationships have actually helped with my podcast <laughs> as well and have like I said with offer letters like I know how to write an offer letter now to someone to come on to my podcast so I, I think that's helped. And it was just a really fun creative experience because I haven't been creative in so long in that way. And it just, it was such a great outlet because sometimes you don't get to be creative and start with like my creativity right now is my podcast. Hmm. And there are other things that I know I'm good at that I miss doing and being able to do that during the pandemic, especially because it was the pandemic, nobody was doing anything really, um, was just like a really nice, nice thing to do. Yeah. And also like, I really love doing my podcast mm. and I really love interviewing people and hearing their experiences and just talking to different people and like different avenues of theater, whether it be a performer, a director, a playwright, like someone who does hair, and makeup design, uh, mm -hmm. producing, because there's so many different aspects of theater and film and television. And the main point of my podcast is like, if you want to get into this field and you don't know how to, there's so many different ways to do it. And if you start one way, you can go a different direction. And this is this person's experience doing it. So I, I would say that. Fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah. Alison, thank you so, so much. This has been a really, really lovely chat. Yeah, yeah same and, here. Yeah, no, I've really, really enjoyed it. And I love your podcast as well. Um, okay. It's really just the, the quality of guests that you've got on and that their experiences and everything is just fantastic. And 
Uh, I can't wait to hear more from you. And uh, not only just after today, but of course on your own show, I can see what, what more great people you get on. And yeah. Um, yeah, let's do this again. I'd love to have you back. And uh, I'm around. No worries. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Great stuff. Um, thank you so much for today. I'm just gonna, if you just hang on, I'll finish the recording and I'll say goodbye no to you one-to-one, but mm -hmm. yeah, I think let's, let's call it there. So guys, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. This has been the Uncensored Critic Podcast, and I will be back very, very soon. And for the final time, Alison Tanny, thank you so much. Thank you.